I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody. Just uh, AJ and Richard here at the top of the show. Yo, yo, what up? We just wanted to let you all know about a survey that we would love for you to fill out if you're a fan of this podcast or Cop Popture in general. You can find a link to the survey in the show notes below. You can do it on your phone. It's really easy. Um, just while even you can do it on the bus while you're you listening could do it to the on episode. the train. Yeah, you could do it in a box. You could do it with a fox, but don't. But fuck if you do it with a fox. Let's get to the episode. Uh, I was in the mall today, Richard, um, and I was walking, you know, through the mall as you do, and um, this man was walking towards me, like going the other way, and he had this this really pronounced beard. And for viewer, the, for the listeners who don't know what I look like, I also currently have a very pronounced beard. And as I passed him, he made eye contact with me, and he didn't smile, but he did start rigorously stroking his beard while maintaining eye contact with me. And I was, <laughs> I, that's ne- I've never been accosted by another another bearded person in the mall before. Wow, uh, AJ, what were you doing in the mall? <laughs> I was. I had just finished seeing Mission Impossible Fallout. Ah, but um, seeing as how you do a franchise-based podcast, shouldn't Correct. you save franchise-based films uh, for when you cover them on the podcast? Well, it's funny that you should um, bring that up, actually, Richard, because um, surprise, we're back, baby, and yeah. there, 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 I, there was, there were no golden retrievers in the Mission Impossible series. If there were, I don't know what I would have done. It probably wouldn't have registered with me. There could even be some in there, and I just haven't fully realised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've like I've now got like a filter that just like does not allow me to see golden retrievers because I've just had enough. Mm. Like like literally, my brain was like, "This is the amount of golden retrievers you're allowed to see in one lifetime." Yeah. Boom, you can't see anymore, and uh, yeah. I've wasted it at 25. Yeah, and like you can't get, you, your dream. I remember you telling me was to one day own a golden retriever. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I do. I just don't know. <laughs> um, my name is AJ. Hello, everybody. And my name is Richard. Hello, everybody. And as we kind of touched on, you are listening to Film Franchise Fortnite on the Cold Popcher Podcast. Um, the f- film franchise Fortnite is a bit of a bit of a misnomer now. What's it called when something's still called what it used to be? But uh, it's a misnomer, yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Um, TV tropes like, has a has a thing for it. It's called uh, what is it called? It's like a relic word or something like that. Yeah, like um, you, yeah, you t- no you relic word's different. Yeah, relic word is something like um, spick and spick and span. You'd never say spick. Well, you would if you were being racist but i wasn't and context is important (laughs) um anyway yeah we this is our fifth sixth fifth week in a row doing 
um, film franchise Fortnite, <laughs> which really doesn't make sense. But um, for those who have just tuned into this show, we spent the last month watching the entire Earbud cinematic universe and we didn't want to wait any longer to see this year's biggest action film or at least August's biggest action film, Mission Impossible Fallout. But because this podcast governs our lives, um, we were like, hey, let's just watch the five preceding films and do another film franchise uh, week. Um, yeah, movie, and yeah, also... Episode. By doing an extra episode here, we are putting ourselves back onto the week. So if we hadn't done five weeks in a row, uh, we would still be doing film franchise fortnights this week. So, uh, mm. you know, maybe behind the scenes, we like to keep it on this week for our own personal reasons. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Who knows? I mean, I, I do. I do know why, why we did it. But Two people exactly know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, you're like I've been you you do the talking this time, Richard, because I've yeah. been leading our listeners through seventeen um, earbud films for the past month, and now you get to now the way the two waveforms that make up your track and my track is going to be a little bit Richard heavy this time instead of a little bit <laughs> yeah, AJ heavy. That's right. Our uh, artifact title is uh, what it calls on TV traps, by the way. Uh, okay. uh, and speaking of, I'm so glad you segued me into this because I didn't really know how to describe it, but I looked this up. Uh, so including Mission Impossible, you have led the podcast through 106 films, AJ. Including Mission Impossible. Yeah. So, including this episode, you have led us through 106 episodes. I don't know if the, like, have the, have we made this, like, clear on the podcast or have we told, made this, like, official announcement, but AJ and I do generally take turns hosting the episode in quotation marks where one else will do all the research and uh, Wait, the you've one. hosted, the, you're hosting this one though, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, how am I leading you, including a Mission Impossible? Well, because, including. Like up until this episode, ah, you've ah. done 106. I've done of course. 154 films. That's no, that that feels right. That feels accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> some that okay. Wait, wait. That doesn't necessarily mean you've hosted more episodes than I have. It means you've hosted longer franchises. Yeah. Than so I because I, I did Freddy vs Jason, which was twenty. I did Godzilla, which was thirty-one, and I did Lay Before Time, which was fourteen. Right. Like I've Air done Bud all is, of our biggest franchises. Airbud is the only really big one that. I did. Isn't it crazy where we where we draw the line? Because we did Land Before Time in one go, which is two. Earbud was th- what three more films then, and then we also did Freddy vs Jason in one go, which is three more films than <laughs> ever. And plus, it's two franchises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we, we don't have a lot of consistency, but we will from now on. But when we got to Godzilla, that was the first time we were like, all right, we actually have to do a multi-faceted, multi-week episode Yeah, well, now. like, uh, I mean, Lame Before Time we couldn't do because the only thing we could do is, like, the original ones and then the semi-reboot, which is 13 and 1. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, Freddy vs. Jason, we should have split up. And if we got it now, we probably would have because we have a better idea of what this podcast mm. is. And mm. um, if we'd done... Yeah, I mean, Godzilla made sense because there was actually a defined way of splitting it up. Yeah, and we, we one of the one of the first episodes we ever did was the Universal Mummy movies, and there are actually about four or five 
different um, sections of the overall mummy um, series. And I, I regret that, Richard. I wish we'd done every mummy movie. Oh, but thank fucking God we didn't. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's better, I would assume. Uh, yeah, because there's like a middle one as well. Mm, yeah. um, also, just uh, for another up top random trivia, which we like to do Ooh. now. Um, this is our second six film franchise. What? Oh, the other one is. I know this one. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Correct. Yeah, yes. isn't, that, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. Like six is, you'd think it's not too crazy of a of a number. But well, yeah. to be fair as well, this is our first six film franchise that's one continuous story. Whereas yeah, that's true. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was um, at least two reboots, I believe. Yeah, there so. was three different canons, which we should have done in separate episodes. <laughs> <laughs> then to the one, the, that means we'd, we'd have an episode of the podcast that was dedicated to the single animated um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our up top random trivia. Uh, it's sure. also, I was thinking about this on the car, in the car, on the car. I was thinking about this in the car. What are this you, is- Ethan Hunt? <laughs> riding on top of a car? This is our second franchise to have a villain which is played by an actor with the name Sean H. Because Sean Harris is a villain in um, Rogue Nation and Fallout, and entries five and six in Mission Impossible, and he's also the bad guy in Cats and Dogs. Uh, no, sorry, he's not also the bad guy in Cats and Dogs is Sean Hayes. Mm. Both Imagine Sean if H. I just magically pulled out yet another villain who was played by Sean. Yeah, no, H. I was like, I was half expecting you to, and I, and I, in um, the car, I was like, oh, what's AJ going to throw at me? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, that that's that's a great. That's a great statistic. Um, one of the pieces of feedback that we got after we did our Scream episode was how good it was to hear the two of us actually like a franchise um, yeah. for a change because we watch a lot of shit on this podcast. Um, Especially then, lately. Yeah, and then almost immediately we got 17 Airbud films. Um, so we we haven't been really giving the audience what they want in a way, um, much, in, much due to the nature of the sort of random... Uh, design of how we choose the franchise sort yeah, of random but maybe random. we'll be doing it this this episode yeah that's true um but you know what this i'm anticipating this to be a good episode richard because oh, well, mission fuck. impossible after <laughs> after 17 earbud films what a delight it was yeah. to watch these these like proper movies that are like temples in pop culture that are like made by people who really care about what they're doing there's there are so many like professionals and auteurs <laughs> involved in this movie it felt like taking a warm bath you know it felt like eating a a, a chicken roast <laughs> a chicken roast after a month of eating um mcdonald's beef, beef, beef roast <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sure, we'll go. With that. But I've, uh, I've, spoiler alert, I had such a wonderful time this week nice. watching these movies. 
All right, well, let's just crack into the film, shall we? And uh, I'll just let everyone know as well, if you haven't seen the new one, maybe we'll chuck a thing at the start like we did with Ghostbusters. I don't know, maybe we didn't. If if we didn't, this will be the first you're hearing about it. But um, we are going to go through the films one by one. We'll, there'll be a definitive point where it starts being spoilery for Fallout if you haven't seen the latest one. So, that being said, we are quite late to the game to yeah, review Fallout. But I mean... Yeah, maybe. It sadly came out the same week as Airbud. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we Airbud, didn't get Airbud to see was it. in cinemas and we had to go see one or the other. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know, mate, I was thinking about this. Like, who are the people that could be listening to this? Maybe you've just seen Fallout, you want to do. Or maybe you haven't seen any of the Mission Impossible films, but you're interested in Fallout and you want to see, uh, hear a recap and kind of a re- review or discussion of the other five films to catch you up and then go to see Fallout. So you could turn it off and then go see Fallout if you want. Mm. You could want that. Yeah. But, so, the first film in this franchise came out in 1996, and it was directed by Brian De Palma, and it was called Mission Impossible. AJ. Mm. Yes. What is that about? Um, I'm going to try to be pretty simple with these, because a lot of the plots get quite complicated that won't, if they come up, we'll explain it when we when we talk about yeah. it. But basically, it's about a secret agent who works for an agency called IMF that are tasked with particularly difficult missions. Um, and after and what, his is, what does IMF stand for? Impossible Mission Force. And after his <sighs> entire team is, I think, more or less his entire team appears to be killed off. Um, he discovers his. Has he been framed in the first one? He goes rogue almost immediately. Uh, well, yeah, basically, um, his entire that, that there's it, they were sent on like a fake mission to find out who the mole in their team was. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone else in his team seemingly gets taken out. So they're like, Ethan, you're probably the mole. Mm, and he's like, yeah. No, nah, I've been set up, and goes rogue. Yeah, yeah. So he, he goes. It's Ethan Hunt played by Tom Cruise. The first one also stars John Voight. Um, and uh jean jean reno i remembered his name um and yeah yeah ving rames who uh, ving rames i think is the only other character who shows up a character actor who shows up in every film yeah cool so yeah that one the the, if you're like hmm what's mission impossible the most iconic scene from mission impossible is um tom cruise's ethan hunt hanging from the roof above a uh, like a, a, a very a, a top secret base top secret room and he can't touch the floor or else it sets off an alarm so there's a very very famous scene probably the most famous scene from the mission impossible in intellectual culture. property and yeah in all of pop culture which is him hanging an inch above the floor and it's <laughs> that scene beautiful scene yeah, one thing we haven't mentioned scene. actually richard is neither you or i had actually seen yes actually that's a very good movies point before yeah i hadn't seen any of them and i've been like aj let's do film franchise fortnights and then we'll go see fallout and they're like yeah, yeah like let's let's do it and aj's been like oh maybe yeah i don't know like whatever <laughs> i don't know yeah um and they'll be like oh bro like let's do it. i'm so excited to see fallout like and he's like yeah no nah, like, i don't know bro anyway um but then we ended up being in the middle of air but as i said and I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to start watching these <laughs> <Yeah>. films. <laughs> no, well, if I remember correctly, actually, Richard, I thought we were planning to do Fallout, but um, the weeks didn't line up. Wasn't that what happened? Uh, maybe, yeah, actually, because there was a few, we went through, there's like a few upcoming releases, and um, 
Yeah, we were like, oh, like like ones that tie into big franchises that we, especially ones that we haven't seen, and we were like, okay, with this one, but it doesn't like fit on the week perfectly mm-hmm. to be like, you know, the first people talking about it kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if we had done this episode last week or like we, we, as soon as it came out, that would have been last week, and then if we hadn't done Airbud, there wouldn't have been episode on that week. But mm. yeah, fun times. Yeah, fun times. Anyway, but yeah, I was like, fuck it. I just really want to see Fallout because I really like the trailer. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm I'm a completionist, so I want to watch all the films beforehand yeah. before going seeing it. So I was like, fuck it. Even if we would not do it for film franchise Fortnite, I'm going to watch these films. And yep. uh, then after Airbud, we were like, we need it. We need a win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically they... Yeah, trying to find the mole in his team uh, while also yeah getting uh, in the heist scene, the drop and hang from the ceiling thing. Uh, he's re- trying to rec- retrieve the knock list. That's kind of the MacGuffin of this film. Uh, and AJ, do you know what the knock list is? Um, remind me. So it's and okay. Another thing that this and I'll, it ties into my definition of the knock list. But uh, it's mentioned a lot in these films about disavowing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that means, AJ? I would assume if you are disavowed, it's the government saying you we no longer sanction what you do. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, the Polish film getting hinges James around gunned could be another way to. Put yes, it. lot of loyalty for a fired gun. <laughs> uh, so the plot of this film hinges around the potential release of the knock list, that's NOC. Uh, traditionally, when a spy is caught, the spy's home country will admit that that person was a spy and that a person, and then get that person back by releasing a spy of that country. So, Jeff, if you caught one of my spies and you were like, hey, I have one of your spies, but yeah, okay, he's a spy of mine. I've got one of yours. Let's trade them back. But to disavow, if I was to disavow, you're like, hey, I've got this spy. I'd be like, no, nah, they're not mine you can kill them and that's what disavowing is okay. so it results in getting a lot of um you know uh, basically your free game for anyone to kill and we won't protect yeah. you so what's a knock list so a knock list a knock agent or non-official cover is one who's been disavowed by their country should they be captured right so i could Interesting. disavow my agent but they would still be trying to infiltrate you i guess and but they're, what, not, they're yeah. no longer connected to me. And One thing so, I was I was thinking about IMF. The further we got through these films, is wouldn't want really want to work for them, eh? Like, yeah. like if you if you don't have like a strong sense of justice and like wanting to save the world, they're not very good to their employees. Yeah, yeah, they're not very trusting, eh? No. Every film, they're like, I think Ethan's gone rogue. It's like, well, we've <laughs> thought that before, and he's never done that. No, 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 but this time, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they get it back. There's a big uh, ch- chase scene on a train through a tunnel with a helicopter coming back through the tunnel oh, as well. it's so good. It's so awesome. Yeah. Well, okay, so are we talking about them film by film? Yeah. So first initial thoughts of Mission Impossible 1 um, is that beyond those two scenes, beyond the, um, the, the dangle scene, the dangle scene and the train scene, yeah. Um, it's not that great. <laughs> like it's it's fine, but it's 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 very weirdly edited. There's a lot of like real weird. There's there's one part in it that um I thought was real strange, and this is spoilers for Mission Impossible. Um, when 
so he basically while he's while he's on the run, he finds John Voigt's character, and John Voigt tells him about who who really killed the team. And while he's telling you who really killed the team, we cut to um, revealing that it was actually John Voigt's character who's responsible for it all. But it's it's not what John Voigt's saying. It's not inherently clear that Ethan's working it out. Like right, okay, yeah. That, <laughs> so, because the thing is that it is Ethan working it out at that point. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's, so, it, there's nothing to lend. It's, it's, I don't know. It was kind of weirdly edited, but it's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is like, and, and for, for a franchise that prides itself on, especially we'll get to this in the later entries, but on like doing it for real and like, oh my God, do you know he actually did this? Um, the, the final scene is very, like a lot of CGI, very green screened. Um, yeah. But I don't know, it's like, and we'll probably talk about this more as well, but this film came out in 1996 and it feels like a 1996 spy action thriller. And that's, that's great. Okay. This yeah. is this is a statement for the whole Mission Impossible franchise, and um, this isn't. I don't think this is something that you or I have made up. I think this is something that's been talked about in various think pieces I've seen. Is that the cool thing about the Mission Impossible franchise is until maybe actually I'm going to say including the most recent one, they were all released in very different eras of mainstream film, yeah. and so. The the first one is, as you say, it is a 1996 film. Like, it might be the most 1996 film. And <laughs> I'd almost describe every single Mission Impossible film as the most year it came out film of that year. Because, like, and because I, I, we haven't talked about um, critics' opinions or anything yet, but I'm aware that the second one is regarded as sort of the weak link of the six. And I reckon... That's because, and we'll talk talk about this more when we get to part two. I reckon that's because the early two thousands um, is a cheesier time period than the mid nineties, <laughs> and everything else has been too recent for us to be like, "Oh, that looks cheesy now," or "That that hasn't yeah, aged yeah. well." Stuff in in nineteen ninety six was so middle of the line, whereas stuff in two thousand was very. Um, hey, the Matrix changed film forever let's do the matrix so you know every, everything feels very um chrome and slick and <laughs> yeah 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 uh but yeah yeah we'll, we'll talk about like what the, the, i think that'll be fun as well talking about what defines that kind of film mm. uh that era or that year of film but yeah uh critic score yeah so this scored 63 on the uh gold golden whatever that is uh rotten tomatoes it's mm. quite low if a it film so, if a film scored sixty three percent these days, and I was looking forward to it, I'd be like, "Oh, that's a shame." Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, it is a, it probably is a sixty three percent film. I don't know. It's not. It was. It didn't. It didn't um, blow me away other than those two scenes. But um, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Now, and AJ, do you know where Mission Impossible comes from? It's a TV show, right? It is a TV show. It's a TV series uh, which starred Martin Landau. Um, but it was apparently uh, I haven't seen any of it. I, I didn't do that. And guess what? Um, this week. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it was more of an ensemble piece. So I don't think you'd have like it's not like Ethan goes on a mission every week. Even though I think Jim Phelps, who's John Voight's character, was one of like the main characters of the TV show. Right. Um, but uh, that came out in 1996, went through to 1973, and that was revived in 1988 for two seasons. But yeah. stars of the original declined cameos. They spoke out against the film. One of them said that he walked out during a screening of it. Um, 
the guy who played Jim Phelps in the TV series, I think he was the one that walked out and he was like, nah, they, because Jim Phelps ends up being, John, he's John's voice character and he ends up being a traitor. And he was like, mm-hmm. nah, they shouldn't have done that to my character um, and all the stuff. He was actually asked to reprise the role, but he turned it down. So, mm. yeah, there would have been more connected originally. but uh, Right, so yeah. a, a genuine sequel to the TV series. Yeah, and Martin Landau said, um, now nah, they just made action movies, not Mission Impossible films. Because Mission, Which is true. Mission's a head game, <laughs> whereas these were action movies. That No, that's fair, but it is... The fact is, when you say Mission Impossible, you think of Tom Cruise. You don't think of, like... Martin Landau. Mission Impossible might be one of the only properties that I was surprised to find out was a TV show originally. Like, usually I'm, I know these things, but I remember finding a DVD for Mission Impossible, the TV show, in, in the warehouse once and being like, what? Hmm. Makes sense, though, because stuff like the, the theme song that everyone knows... Yeah, that's um, from the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty action-packed film. Uh, would you agree? I would. I would agree. But did you know that Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character, doesn't actually fire a gun at any point in the movie? I didn't know that. Yeah. Just a wee cool. fun little fact there. And speaking of Tom Cruise, uh, he's getting pretty fucking old now. <laughs> um <laughs> He's one year younger than John Voight was in this movie. Wow. Isn't that ridiculous? He looks so much better than John Voight did. Or I think in Fallout, he's, his age is starting to show a bit. Really? To be honest. That's interesting. Not, we'll get, we'll not, get to that. Not intensely, but um, yeah. Um, I, I had a very transcendent experience watching specifically the train scene in mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 1. So if you haven't seen it, basically, I, I won't bore you with the- plot contrivances they get them there but basically it's tom cruise chasing john voight on the top of a train um and they go through a tunnel and john reno's character is in a helicopter like tailing the train and it's this epic uh it's so good and when i watched it i was like i have no memory of ever seeing this scene but i know i've seen it because when i was a little kid richard Hmm. I would always play outside. I would play in my backyard, little movies. I'd made up. My, I'd play by myself. Like I wouldn't need <laughs> someone else there. I'd make up little movies and video games. And the scenario of characters chasing each other on top of a train or like hanging out of a plane, et cetera, et cetera, were like ingrained in me just, just so that I could like hang off my trampoline and pretend I was falling off something and like, you know what I mean? Like the the imagery flashing before my eyes watching Mission Impossible. <laughs> I was like, this this somehow reached me when I was a child and inspired me to no end. I remember being on the playground at um at uh, primary school and playing with a friend who later became my best friend. And this is one of the first times we ever hung out. And <laughs> I remember um holding on to the slide and not falling down it and he was holding on to my legs and we were p- pretending that we were like hanging out of a plane and stuff and he was the villain i had to like kick him off and that so we'd boy fly grew down up the to slide. be me no Your best friend his name is aaron oh. he has a kid now oh well can't win them all <laughs> uh, so but yeah. i don't know there's 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 there was a nurturing element to this franchise yeah there, there really is a familiarity enjoy. of doing a train scene like a lot of good video games have them as well mm. Mm. Um, but yeah so moving on to mission impossible 2 this mm-hmm. was directed by john woo 
and it came out in, as we said, 2000. Even the directors are of their time. You know, yeah, like even even the di- the directors for each movie is like, oh, that's the guy who did all that mo- all those movies in that era, or at least his films are indicative of that era. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So, what's Mission Impossible Two about? Um, so basically, Ethan is recruited again for a mission, and this time it's to retrieve a a biohazard, like a virus, like a disease called Chimera. Yep. Um, and the person who, who has, did he make it or he's, he's trying to buy it or something like that yeah. is the ex lover of the love interest played by Tilda Swinton. No, Tandy what's Newton. Tandy Newton, <laughs> same name, Tilda Tandy, Tandy Newton, um, in this film. And so Tandy Newton's character has got to go undercover and like seduce her ex so that her and, um, Ethan Hunt and everyone can get on board and and stop the disease from getting out to the yeah. world. Yeah, this is the disease one. Yeah. Um so yeah, this uh this scored a little bit lower, 57% with critics on Rotten Tomato. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. but yeah, did you notice that this is the only time in the Mission Impossible franchise where he just does a mission? Yes, I was going to say, I couldn't remember. I was like, is this the only one where he doesn't go rogue? Yeah, this is the only one where from start to finish, it's just Ethan doing a mission. That's amazing. And it's weird that it's the worst one because (laughs) it shouldn't be. Yeah, because it's like they're all, they all kind of feel similar doing them and especially watching them in such quick succession that it's all like, oh, they were a double agent. Oh, I'm going rogue. Oh, we can't trust Ethan. But yeah. I mean, they make it feel fresh. These like, yeah, these movies are no, great. they do. They they are creative with how he goes rogue. Um, so Mission Impossible Two, I didn't think it was that bad. Oh no, like not at all. I, I'd heard it was was like real bad, like a classic inferior sequel. I could definitely see why people didn't like it. I think it's a a better made film. As I said, I don't think it's as like how I was saying how Mission Impossible is real weirdly edited. This doesn't strike out to you. And maybe that's just because I'm a, I'm a video editor, so I notice it. But mm. like this this one feels like a competently made film. I would say where it's let down is, you know, that, you know, they don't do it so much anymore in like Family Guy and stuff, but they would joke about how when an explosion goes off and there's like six different angles of it happening over <laughs> and over again. Yeah. That, that happens in this once or twice. And that is kind of the like, Oh, okay. This is an early two thousands. Yeah, it's a real John Woo style as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, there's the, like the fight scenes are better because of John 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 Woo. Yeah, so there you go. Like the the and so this is the kind of introduction to like the whoa, we did that for real kind of thing. And this is the mm. only scene I'd ever seen of a Mission Impossible film as well is the opening scene where he's like free climbing on this massive rock face. Yeah. And it's like no safety net, no wires. He's just you know jumping between rocks. Um, but then he gets like the your mission. Should you choose to accept it? And a pair of sunglasses. And it has the this will this message will self destruct in five seconds. And he like throws the glasses towards the camera, and they spin in slow motion and explode and reveal the title. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's so two thousand. Yeah, yeah. It's the last pre nine eleven one as well, mm. which. It does. Ch- this this might be a fantastic case study in and the idea of post nine eleven film because you've got 
you know, and, and, and good sample sizes on either side of nine eleven. So, like, yeah, that, that that we'll talk probably more about that with um, three. But, but, and yeah, the, uh, the does it would it make sense if I said the fact that he gets the mission through sunglasses is really two thousand? Yeah. Does, yeah. does that yeah. make sense? And like, there's the 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 big set piece is a motorcycle a motorcycle chase. Like these things, they feel they just feel so cool like in quotation marks cool kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah like apparently john woo just like could not watch that opening scene and tom was like no i'll do it again okay i'll keep doing it and like um, wait so he actually climbed up a mountain yeah he, he had cables on that we edited out but oh, there was right. no safety net or anything um but yeah um Tom, apparently Tom Cruise like refused to drop the scene because like they didn't want to do it because he's like no this is the perfect way to reintroduce Hunt and it it's and it's, yeah. it's real interesting like re- you read behind the scenes of these kind of films and there's a lot of like Cruise insisted on this this was Cruise's idea and like you you need to remember that not normally actors don't have that much pull on their movies but he is a producer on these films so yeah. a lot of the, there's like massive story decisions are his ideas and like set pieces and everything like that are all Tom Cruise you know Tom he, Cruise man he's it's bloody Tom Cruise mate he's a paradox isn't he yeah like well, well you, I think once I, we've I gone through his... them I've got a, a list of like talking points and one of them is just Tom Cruise and I want to have a okay, discussion we'll get, with you about we'll get Tom to Cruise it okay um, so uh, you might have heard a rumour and people out there might have heard this rumor as well that uh, Tom Cruise is like a total diva to work with. And when you're working on a Tom Cruise film, they basically tell you don't talk to him and don't look at him and don't like don't look him in the eye. Have you ever heard right. that? Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah. So like th- this is something I've read online. Do you know that that started from this film? Uh, because and it is somewhat based in truth but not really at all so there's a scene uh, where they're filming at like a racetrack and it's a very crowded scene uh but they when they were looking at the rushes they noticed that heaps of extras were just like holy fuck it's tom cruise and would just <laughs> stare at him and it's like yeah. ethan's supposed to bleed into the crowd but everyone's like oh my god just like children of the corn style <laughs> yeah just staring at ethan and it kept on ruining the text so they had to send out a memo being like stop looking at tom cruise <laughs> and that's where that came from because that like somehow led him to be like, oh, we were told not to look at Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Interesting, yeah. Hmm. And also um, another big fiasco that this film started was Metallica recorded a song called I Disappear for the soundtrack, which appears in the end credits. Um, and an early version of that was leaked on Napster. Mm-hmm. And that's what started the whole Metallica v Napster thing. Oh, I didn't know there was a Metallica v Napster thing. I oh, do you not know about that? It's like no. <laughs> one of the, yeah, it's a huge, huge story of the early 2000s. Basically, they okay. sued Napster um, mm. and, yeah, and P2P sharing. Nice. There's like documentaries about it. It's a whole big thing, man. Well, there you go. Yeah. Also, um, we haven't spoken about the villain in this film. Uh, no. an Australian guy called Doug Ray Scott. Mm-hmm. Do you know him from anything else? He looked familiar, but that might just be because he's a pretty generic-looking dude. Yeah, so the thing is- Well, like, a looking villain, I should say, not yeah. just a normal dude. If you, like, he, he's he's one of those, like, he would only ever be referred to as Mission Impossible 2's Doug Ray Scott. Um, <laughs> however, he almost had a bit of a bigger career than that, um, but this film went over with its shooting, and so he had to pull out of playing Wolverine in X-Men. And no. in, at the last second, they got in Hugh Jackman. No. 
Holy shit. Like a few days before they started shooting, they're like, fuck, there's another Australian. For Let's Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. The worst mission. You could have done it for any other Mission Impossible Imagine film. that. Like, this guy would be like an A-lister now. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's fuck. actually real sad. That's <laughs> real sad. Eh? But, and, like, and like, we wouldn't know who Hugh Jackman was. He'd just be some Australian mm. theatre singer. Because that's the basically what he was. The guy from Kate and Leopold? Okay. <laughs> As Wolverine? No, I don't think so, mate. Um, but yeah, there was a real cool scene with, with him where he's like got this knife and it's like stabbing down and it, and it stops and Ethan's like real close to Ethan's eye. Yeah. It's like another real 2000s thing. But you know, they, yeah, they yeah. did that for real. That's like an actual knife blade a quarter of an inch away from <laughs> Tom Cruise's eyeball. It was one of those like, nah, let's, I insist on doing it for real. And- um it, the way they did it was like the knife so tom cruise was lying on the ground and then they attached the knife to a cable um that was attached to something else that was like measured to be exactly oh, the tip off. of the knife be that exactly <laughs> that distance from that? tom cruise's eyeball and so doug ray scott can go down with all of his force and it'll stop right on tom cruise's eye that is nuts. Why would you? You don't need to do that. And, you and don't this is like Tom to. being like, I insist on this actually happening. Because because the way it's shot, you could superimpose the, the, the wide of him holding the knife and throwing it down and then just cut to the close up. And you could even set up the knife there so you're safe and you don't have to have the action. Yeah. That's insane. That's this is the simple problem with when he did the zero gravity scene in The Mummy, is yeah. that like you, you these things need to be like, holy shit, he actually did this, not um, that could have been faked and I wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I don't know. I mean, the, the knife is like, because the knife is so shiny and sharp, it does actually kind of look CG. But... And we'll talk about this more later when the stunts get bigger, but you do start to really appreciate that these things are being done for real. Yeah. Um, and then you start to wonder which part of it was done for real. <laughs> yeah. But by Fallout, you're like, which part of this was him actually doing this? <laughs> All of it, mate. <laughs> Did he really crash a helicopter? Um, but yeah, so the... Uh, this this film also introduced the Tom Cruise's idea, actually, of the kind of revolving door of directors that they sort of implemented. So, okay. like, each one is supposed to be, like, a new installment, a new episode of Mission Impossible, and feel different from the previous one. Oh, and, is that intentional? That's great. Yeah, and this, this was Tom Cruise's idea, and he was like, uh, John Woo came in, he was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to live up to Brian De Palma kind of thing. And he was like, don't like i don't care if you don't watch the first one i want i want this to be a john woo film hmm. and so he's like he he wanted every director to come and be like make a brian de palma film but it's a mission possible film. make a john woo film but it's a mission possible film make a jj abrams film but do you have do you happen to have a i can look it up do you happen to have a list of other films that de palma and woo have done or do you know them off the top um of brian de palma did scarface i believe okay I'll you look, look up John Woo, I'll look up Brian De Palma. I'm already on Brian De Palma. Oh, well, I'll look up John Woo then. Okay. Let's have a look at this. Director, um, Predator? No, oh, that yeah. can't be right. Did he do Predator? All oh, right. Um, oh, he's got so much. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Scarface, Untouchables. Uh, John Mission Woo Impossible. did um, Face Off. 
Right. That's right. Yeah. Man, De Palma hasn't done a lot of big things since Mission Impossible. <laughs> it says it says director on Predator, but I, it can't be the <laughs> what. It's not. It's like at the top of his IMDb, not the bottom where it would be if it was. I think this film will be based on the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Okay, that kind of predator. All right. So he, he didn't direct Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, John McTiernan did. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. Um, Weinstein crawled his way back into the podcast again. <laughs> uh um yeah so yeah like, that, like that's cool yeah that, that was actually like an intentional thing mm. so yeah they um also this film features the only something that i know you're a big fan of aj um do you know what i'm gonna say yes what is it the only time they say the title of the movie in yes. the movie and what did you think of it so do you want to give us the line so, because I know, know you what love I'm talking about doing your Anthony Hopkins impersonation. Yeah, who's we, in this we, film, by the way? We at Cold Pop should we call them title bombs? It's when you say the name of the movie in the movie. Done right, it can be really impactful, really beautiful. Um, done wrong, it can be really cheesy and stand out like a sore thumb. So basically, Anthony Hopkins, who's um, the new boss of IMF. Um, tells ethan the the mission at hand and, and ethan's like nah that's that's so hard and he and anthony hopkins character goes so you're saying it'll be difficult and he's like yeah extremely and he goes well we don't call it mission difficult mr hunt we call it mission impossible and yeah, he's like, like well it's not mission difficult it's mission impossible yeah yeah there's mission impossible and it's like <laughs> it might be the worst title bomb really i loved it i, I loved it because it's so cheesy oh, it is i mean it is again it is pretty 2000s but the the my hang up with it was like but it's not the 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 thing they do no one calls it mission impossible the 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 closest you could you could claim is that it's impossible mission force but they don't call it mission impossible so is anthony hopkins breaking the fourth wall <laughs> like is he making a bugs bunny esque like like nod to the to the like you know our world existing and that they're only in a film is like <laughs> like it's just like well they don't it's the the movie's not called mission difficult Tom Cruise. <laughs> the movie's <laughs> called Mission Impossible. That was the deleted scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, that's the second film. Uh, moving on to Mission Impossible Three. This came out in two thousand five and was directed by JJ Abrams. And this mm-hmm. was fun fact: JJ Abrams' first film. It was his first film. That's so interesting. Um, okay, so this movie. Um, well, first it, film as a director, he'd written a few. Right. Yeah, and he directed TV before. Yep. as well yeah directed the lost pilot yeah um so it's a number of years later and ethan hunt is now married to a woman named julia engaged engaged apologize they get married in it um and he's called back to to imf he's retired since retired from since the second film well he's, he's retired as back, a field agent right he's, he's called back to help um is it to extract one another agent from they've been caught yeah, he's been compromised. Oh, yeah, yeah. she's been compromised. Um, and they and it was one that she tra- that he trained. Yeah, so they go and extract her, and um, she dies anyway. And basically, they learn they come to learn that there's a possible end of the world weapon called the rabbit's foot, and they have to get the rabbit's foot off the bad guys or away from the bad guys, and it culminates in um, Tom Cruise's. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ethan Hunt's wife, Julia, being kidnapped by the villain, and he has to go and, and save her. V- like, beautifully simple story. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it literally is we need to get them MacGuffin. It doesn't want to matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because and so, you never yeah. find out what it is. Yeah. Um, and the, it also, the film stars probably more, probably most famously would be uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the main villain. As uh, um, Owen Davian. I think it's yeah. Owen, but yeah, Davian. Yeah. And, it also stars um, Tom Cruise, who's pretty famous. Yeah, that's true. And Michelle Monaghan plays Julia, who's not that famous, but she's famous to me. Like Michelle yeah. Monaghan kept kept cropping up in my I love her, man. my life, yeah. Um, and it also, um, as just a fun little side character, his old Simon Pegg shows up for a for a couple yeah, scenes, just and he plays weird. he plays the IT guy who sort of tells them that maybe the rabbit's foot could end the world, but he doesn't know. Yeah, he's just oh, like also, oh yeah, Lawrence I, Fishburne. Yeah, Sorry, Lawrence Fishburne's in it, and also Ving Rhames is back. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, she like um. He's just like, oh yeah, it could be this thing. It's called a um, a rabbit's foot. I don't know what I'm talking about anyway. Oh, no, I guess, yeah. no, what does he call it? Like a god, something. A god, yeah, something like. I'll look it up. Yeah, um, but yeah, fun fact. So this, yeah, obviously came out in 2005. So there was a year later than Shaun of the Dead, um, but Anti-god. two years before Hot Fuzz. Do you have you got it? Anti God. Anti God. Yeah. Two years before Hot Fuzz, and that's crazy because when I thought of where Mission Impossible Three came out and where I was in my life, I could Sorry, have sworn- I said two thousand six was one year before Hot Fuzz, and- right? Yeah. I could have sworn it came out post Hot Fuzz. I thought that was the whole point of having Simon Pegg show up. Was it's like, hey, it's the guy from Hot Fuzz. I know Shaun of the Dead probably made him put him on the map as well, but it was a yeah. bit of a surprise. So I apologise. It came out in two thousand six, not two thousand five. I had my notes wrong. Um, but yeah, so two years after Hot Fuzz, uh, Shaun of the Dead, one year before Hot Fuzz. But um, after Shaun of the Dead came out, a reporter uh, was interviewing Simon Pegg and was like, oh, so, you know, Shaun of the Dead did pretty well. Are you going to pursue a career in Hollywood uh, now? And his response was, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not like I'm going to be asked to be in Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> and is that why he was asked to be in I don't know, because it was like, yeah, J.J. Abrams, you know, was a was a fan of Simon Pegg. They, they knew mm. each other. And he was like, yeah, can you just come do this little role? And then ended up, he's like yeah. the second lead of the franchise by, mm. part, by part five. Um, and some, some thing happened to Chris Pratt with Jurassic World as well. Well, yeah, there's just like a, a 10 years before he was cast. In the, or like not 10 years, but like quite a few years beforehand. There's like a video of him um, doing like a behind the scenes tour of Parks and Rec. And he's like, oh, and he's like saying what he's texting he's like sorry spielberg can't talk now read jurassic park 4 anyway <laughs> it's just like a dumb joke because that's like jurassic park 4 that'll never happen yeah um yeah. that's great um so once again this is the most 2006 film i've ever seen oh. like it's so, so we're and it's 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 fine in this case because 2006 a lot of good stuff came out as opposed to 2000 where everything was cheesy um and jj abrams perfect like there are so there are so many moments in mission impossible 3 that feel like an episode of lost i know jj abrams had very little to do with lost past the pilot but it's still like michael gear gear how do you say his name gear chino oh, yeah, the, the- the, the I've actually never g- said his name out loud or heard it said out loud. Yeah, 
So he he does the soundtrack for the film, and there's a part in it where Ethan is is once again going rogue, and he escapes the IMF, and as he does, the music starts playing, and it's like it feels like the lead up to a big reveal in a lost episode, like it has the exact same <laughs> style to it. Um, and then when he's this is a smaller lostish thing I noticed, noticed was that when he's running through the IMF to escape, he's like holding down the call button on the walkie-talkie so that they can't figure out where where he is um and what they can't intercept it and then he leaves it next to a a radio which is playing we are family and like how lost is that you know like remember lost when you'd you'd hear like play your own kind of music sing your own and it like paired like crazy situations with like a really like folksy kind of like homely um song like yeah Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff stuff like like that. that Um, and mm. also, uh, the credits thank the Hanzo Foundation. Ah-ha-ha. Yeah, another wee losty thing for you. Um, but, yeah, so J.J. Uh, Abrams directed this. Uh, it was his first feature film. However, he wasn't the original director. Uh, Joe mm. Carnahan was attached uh, for a long time. And he's. it sounded like it kind of didn't end well for him. but Because uh, he's <laughs> when Fantastic Four, the 2015 one, Fant Forstick mm-hmm. uh, tanked. He was like, fuck, I'm glad Twitter wasn't around when I was on Mission Impossible uh, 3 because I would have pulled a bloody Trank and made a fucking ass of myself. Because you, right. know, you know what Josh Trank did where it was like when Fantastic Four, the day Fantastic Four came out, he was like, a year ago, I had a really good version of this and you'll never see it. Right. <laughs> and it's like- <laughs> not, not a good move. Not a good career move. Yeah. But he- um. Yeah, Joe Carnahan. It seems like because he was attached to it for like sixteen months or something like that. Wow. Um, but yeah, and then uh, after that, they replaced him with David Fincher. Um, oh, what? That would have messed up the flow. <laughs> 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 that would have been insane. Um, and uh, when he was attached, uh, Sylvester Stallone was going to play the villain. That's bizarre. I can't imagine what conversations would have led Fincher to be hired for it. Like really? that breaks the um, the theory because Finch is quite a timeless director. I mean, I say that it's not like this movie's dated or anything, but like, I I guess we we would have had something a bit more akin to like Gone Girl, um, or nah, Girl with I Dragon mean, Tattoo. Nah, you think of like Fight Club. Well, let's see what Finch was doing in like two thousand six. That would have been but even like, even Fight Club. Game. Yeah, it's got action, but the story couldn't be further away from what Mission Impossible story. So this, yeah, like. this was a year before Zodiac and a few years after Panic Room. Hmm. So yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I think Fincher could have made a great film, and I think especially with, um, I think Sylvester Stallone would have done it. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about it in a sec, but Philip C. Hoffman is absolutely incredible. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think Sylvester Stallone probably could have actually done a really good job. Mm. there's like the what i thought was a huge spoiler for the film and is actually the opening sequence when um philip seymour hoffman has uh tom cruise's wife at gunpoint in front of him and he's tied up and he's like i'm gonna count to 10 and then i'm gonna kill her unless you tell me where the rabbit's foot is Mm. and he's like i don't know where it is i thought i gave it to you but was that not it and then it ends with him shooting the wife um but I think so. I can imagine Sylvester Stallone doing that, like mm. that really subdued but really sadistic mm. scene. Yeah, I would say Philip Seymour Hoffman's probably the most effective villain 
and the whole series. Maybe that's just because he's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, yeah, totally. Just the, the the characterization for him is really cool. Like, I mean, especially coming from the last two films, like John Voight is John Voight will never not play a villain, and <laughs> like then the Wolverine dude from Mission Impossible Two, he is just. They didn't really try very hard with it. Yeah, he's well, he, he's training. like he's he's the Wolverine dude in the same way that Eric Stoltz is the Mighty McFly guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you get Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's like this Stephen Wright esque <laughs> terrorist, you know, and it's 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 really really cool. Um, so yeah, I thought he was great. The only thing I didn't like is he kind of gets killed pretty easily, all things considered. Yeah, they're having a scuffle and they're kind of rolling around on top of each other. And then Tom Cruise on the bottom, Philip Seymour Hoffman's on the top. And a car, like, drives over them so that it hits Philip Seymour Hoffman in the face, but drives over Ethan. But Mm. um, one thing that I I feel like you would have appreciated, because this is the kind of nuance that you love, but um, we haven't even spoken about this yet, but in all of the Mission Impossible films, they use masks where they put on, like, a rubber mask of someone and then they... Yeah, assume that person's identity and every time they do it it's that actor you know starts playing that character kind of thing yeah. so tom cruise puts on a philip Seymour hoffman mask and from that point on it's played by philip Seymour hoffman but fuck he did an incredible job of playing tom cruise <laughs> did you think that <laughs> uh t- yeah yeah definitely actually yeah that, I, didn't, like, I didn't think of it at the time but now that i'm thinking about like it now. watch it again because it's like you you forget that it is just Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Tom Cruise with a Philip Seymour mm. Hoffman mask on. Because he's like, he uh, he has to get, because he makes him read out this poem to uh, like download his voice. Yeah. Um, and the, the poem as well was like specifically written for the film and it contains like every single sound. Yeah. The, like every single phonetic sound. Um, but yeah, and then he has to like go from one end of the theater to the other by climbing up the rafters and he's all agile, but he's like, kind of fat (laughs) and then um yeah he's like uh, even after the whole jig is up he's just like sitting there and he's like got his tom cruise smile and it's like ah it's so he's so good that's great i thought what you were gonna say was that the for me the masks um and the second one felt very um get out of jail free Felt very yeah. Deus Ex Machina. So yeah, I you do can basically the masks is one of my talking points for afterwards. Once we've discussed every single film, we can now be <laughs> spoiler free. I want to okay. talk to you about the masks All because right, I know no, you didn't like them to begin with. Th- well, no, okay, we'll talk about them later. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so um, this also came out around the time of. Um, do you remember the Trapped in the Closet episode of South Park? Yep. Yeah, so with Tom Cruise and it's Scientology and it implies he's gay as well. Um, but Tom Cruise like threatened to pull out of doing publicity for this film if they didn't pull the episode. Uh, and why would, why would South Park care? <laughs> uh, well, because is Comedy Central like owned by Paramount or anything like that? Like, I'm sure there there no, are. No, like- they're owned by. They might. No, it is Paramount. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. Um, uh, we probably should fact check that, but let's let's just say it is. Um, and well, then- no, here's, you want to know why I'm thinking it is? Why? Is because I'm no. pretty sure. The mountain, the Paramount Mountain logo in the South Park movie, it stays on the Paramount logo, then fades into a mountain in South Park. That's what I'm thinking of. Nice, nice. Maybe. I think I could be making that up, though. They've insulted, like, Indiana Jones and stuff as well, so. Um, 
It's owned by Viacom. Well, they don't exist anymore, do they? Oh, no, they're, they're the ones competing with Disney to buy. Is that Viacom? Uh, what a sh- what a great what a great conversation to oh, listen no, yeah, to. Um, so Viacom, one of the divisions of um, Viacom was Paramount. Right there, you go. So that makes sense. All right. Um, interesting. Yeah, so so anyway, yeah. Um, and they uh, Comedy Central pulled the episode and. Um, Matt, uh, Stone and Parker, the creators of South Park, said, "Yeah, they weren't allowed. To, they had to pull it, and they weren't allowed to talk about it." Hmm. Well, how did we? How did we then see it? Who bloody knows, mate? Um, that's really interesting because I guess until I feel like Tom Cruise wasn't known. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like he wasn't known as the Scientologist guy until after Mission Impossible Two. Yeah. Um, um, oh, so this probably would have been the first ca- uh, post couch jump, ep- like Mission Impossible, I think. Post couch jump, yeah, you know that when when Tom Cruise went on Oprah and like jumped oh, on his couch, yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. I love Katie Holmes. Post couch jump, post nine eleven, like yeah. this film embodies that time period. They all do, and this one does as well. And I think this is the hardest one to talk about why it does that. I think it more. I think this f- film is more um, indicative of the tropes used in stories at the time than it is of where the world was at. Like right. especially with the 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 abrams-esque mcguffin so abrams has a ted talk where he talks about a magic box a mystery box yeah and i'm i haven't seen ages but if i'm gonna understand correctly what he's basically saying and it is like the mystery is more interesting than the answer yeah he Um, bought this mystery box uh from like a magic shop and he's never looked inside it uh because mm. the like not knowing is more interesting than 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 whatever is inside yeah and that's the rabbit's foot Whatever yeah. you think the rabbit's foot is, is is more interesting. And, I mean, that's lost as well. That's, like, <laughs> so much of what Abrams has done. is He's often criticised these days for it as well. But, like, yeah. the, the, yeah. Because, Mission like, he Impossible did that 3. with The Force Awakens. And then um, <laughs> Ryan Johnson came in and proved that the mystery, in all <laughs> cases, was more interesting. Yeah. Um, I thought Mission Impossible 3, when I saw it, I was like, this is undeniably the best one so far yeah man <laughs> like yeah. and that and how crazy is that man how crazy is that that your third name another trilogy where the third one's the best one well it's interesting you say that because i was about to bring up how on uh the freddy versus jason episode uh we talk about how the sixth one is definitely the best one and you're like name another franchise <laughs> that you can say the sixth one is the best one yeah, and you probably could with Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, in fact, what did, what, did, could. what did this one get on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, yeah, so this one got uh, 70%. That's still pretty low. Mm. That's pretty low by these by today's standards. But yeah, a uh, couple of little tidbits about this film. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is that as a couple of New Zealanders, did you appreciate the at the start of the film uh, where they're like, oh, Han, what was the name of that lake that we did the, the thing over? And he was, oh, Lake Wanaka. I didn't notice it at the start. I noticed it at the end when he calls her up and he, to prove that it's actually her he's talking to. Yeah, he's like, what's the hostage. name of the lake? It's like Wanaka. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. that's in the South Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's in the least talked about part of New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, but Tom Cruise went there while filming The Last Samurai and loved mm-hmm. it. And so he put it on the film. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's cool that it's like, because at the start I was like, oh, it's like a little sheer Wanaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where my aunt lives. Um, <laughs> but then- 
uh, it actually ends up being like real important to the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but um, and also another little uh, fun little cameo in this film. Do you remember? Do you remember? Tell me. Uh, Michelle Monaghan's little brother is Aaron Paul. Yes, and they would later play a couple in that AMC series. Oh yeah, you're right. What's uh, that uh, not AMC. Amazon, isn't it? The Path. I'll look it up. The Path. Yeah. Pretty sure it's Amazon. It's what it's a streaming service. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that actually. But yeah, I th- right. It's the first thing I thought was like they are later banging each other in <laughs> the path. All right. When do you look on IMDb to find out what production company made the path, also known as the way? <laughs> Hulu. 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 Yeah. Well, I'm glad we sorted that out. Um, right. All right. Next up, five years later. 2011, mm. we have Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Yeah, man. What's this one about? Um, this one is about... Um, so, <laughs> the, the, I, this, there's so much and you've got to rework. Because one thing, my mum watched some of these with me and she was like, do you write notes or anything? And I was like, oh, not really. And she was like, how do you remember which one's which? And I was like, I don't know. He's got different haircuts. So, I can tell you his <laughs> yeah, haircut in Ghost yeah, Protocol. Yeah, his hair's like, um, I think... Rogue Nation throws it off, but it's like his hair goes like short, long, short, long, long, and then short. Yeah. Um. So, Ghost Protocol basically the they on a mission to um. What are they trying to get in the in the, from the Kremlin? Uh, so, it doesn't matter. La- yeah, launch code. Yeah, nuclear launch codes. Um. They basically flub a mission, and the Kremlin, which is a Big, it's like the Russian struct- CIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets blown up, um, and because it's such a big deal, the well, entire- it's not because they flubbed it. There was another. There was another yeah, yeah, team yeah. there doing something. Yeah, and um, the entire IMF is disavowed by the government, um, and they enact something called Ghost Protocol, which basically means the IMF uh, doesn't exist, never existed, and um, we aren't going to cover any of our agents so now everyone's a rogue agent and this isn't the one called rogue rogue nation um (laughs) and so basically it's it's tom cruise and his friends um getting doing getting the job done basically they've got to go and get these russian nuclear codes yeah and so where does it take them um, it takes them. Uh, oh, it takes them to Dubai, where they where he climbs up the big building. The this Burj is the one where he, where he where he climbed the big building in Dubai. Yeah, the Mia Khalifa. <laughs> the Mia Khalifa, um, and <laughs> um, I don't know where else they go by name. I could describe the countries. They go to a sandy place. They go to a that's um, Dubai. <laughs> yeah, where else do they go? This is funny because I'm struggling to remember, but this is probably my favorite one. <laughs> it's real fucking good, eh? Yeah, it's so good, man. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I no, so basically, um, the whole, the, whole, the most, most of the films in Dubai, but um, yeah, the the sort of uh, doomsday event of the film is that a nuclear missile is launching to the United States, and yep. it's actually, you know, it's headed right for um, Pixar Studios because it's directed by Brad Bird. <laughs> <laughs> of course, directed by Brad Bird, and when yeah. did it come out? And this was his first live-action film. Uh, ah. Continuing uh, directors being allowed to do their firsts, um, but yeah, they were impressed with his work on The Incredibles, and they were like, "Yeah, let's get him to do a Mission Impossible film." Mm. Mm. 
Totally, man. And like, th- again, such a 2011 film, right? Like, <laughs> this is what so many films looked like when 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 it came out. Um, and it's like the best of all of them. Um, but yeah, I thought this was such a good movie, man. I was I was a yeah. little I was a little weary at the start, um, because I thought Simon Pegg being upgraded to the main cast was he was vaguely annoying at the start. I was like, oh, he's kind of just being the the not as good agent kind of. <laughs> making quirky lines but you know where it won me over where was when um when he gets his mission statement after he's escaped from being in a russian jail for like however however long um and he gets his mission statement on a on a payphone and as it ends as usual as what is always said after he gets his mission statements it goes um this message will self-destruct in five seconds and he hangs up and he walks away and you're like fuck yeah mission impossible and then it doesn't blow up and he looks back at it, and mm. it's like, "What's going on?" Then he walks back and like punches it. But I was like, "Yes, yes, give me meta." Num num num. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because because in the fourth entry in a franchise, you've established it, you've repeated it, you've repeated it again. Number four is the sweet spot for when you start um, making fun of the sacred cows yeah man. you know so I, I i was like oh it's it's got me it's totally got me the other thing i really liked um was the climax of this film takes place in a um like a a car manufacturing An parking garage yeah is, is so that's what, what it is right that's and, one where you like drive your car in and it's on like a a bunch of like turntables and like all these other things so like lift your car and put it in a spot so and mm. then you can come back later and be like oh my car like enter in your code and or grab your car like a vending machine and lower it down and put it mm. to you and it's just such an inspired choice like for where can we set our final battle it's like yes set it in such a like it's so designed. It's that so this movie, this should be a bad thing, but it's not. This movie is designed around its set pieces. So every moment is like, all right, where does Ethan go next? You know? Yeah, and, and they they contrive the plot to get him there, which I would have said is a bad thing. Um, but it's not in this because this movie the if you if you buy into the basic premise of Mission Impossible as a concept being it's impossible missions, like these aren't your run of the mill these aren't just mission difficult these aren't just mission difficult they're like and i think um fallout is better if you think of it in this way as well as like these are actually the missions deemed for this agency that specifies in doing the impossible and so in that sense then i like that they go to such conveniently theatrical places to to do these these parts and like you know so like he's trying to get the, the suitcase off the villain and like the the platform holding the car rises up and he has to jump on it and then the um uh, the, there's a there's a countdown where he has to he has to um he has to push a button within that suitcase that'll stop this uh missile from blowing up all like all of the western hemisphere basically mm-hmm. and when he, he does it like um and so he's, yeah so he's they've got like 10 seconds left or something like that and um what's well, longer than this couple minutes and the bad guy's like nut and he just falls off the the car park platform and to, to seemingly to his death so that ethan won't be able to get there in time so what does he do he gets in one of the cars and drives it off the platform and head first like car head first just crashes like 20 feet to the ground and i was like ah oh, this is action the genre man like yeah, this because, is what and, like, it's because about because he's got like uh, an airbag 
kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it, yeah, it puts his seatbelt on. <laughs> yeah, it is like um, I, I actually read a thread on Reddit because you know each time I watch one of these movies, go through and try and get mm-hmm. talking points and stuff like that. And someone's like, um, the climax was like real shit because it was just product placement. Because like, did anyone <laughs> else feel like it was just showing off how good the BMW safety features are? <laughs> That's amazing. That's so far. I don't care. But like, it's like, it's yeah, kind it of- kind of is. But it's like, it's, yeah, these movies, uh, they do a lot of bad things that, that should be held against them, but they're, mm. they're great. And like they like said, it's based around their set pieces, but they actually do have good stories that, that go mm. between them. These aren't like turn your brain off and just have a bit of fun movies. They are actually good movies that just yeah. happen to be like these, you know, big achievements they, they function both ways yeah. um and like, like this is this is this franchise is like the perfect argument for like film you can you can have both yeah. like films yeah, can man. be really good and yeah. still at a huge blockbuster yeah um ghost protocol is the first post ps3 mission impossible <laughs> and that shows because there this felt like an uncharted game Specifically Uncharted. I don't play a lot of video games, but I've played Uncharted, where you have, like, the, as I say, the big set piece followed by, like, a really dramatic debrief between the characters, then move on to the next set piece. You know, like, you're going all over the world. Um, like, you know, like, so, um, he he has to climb up the what's the the, the Mia Khalifa whatever you called it uh, yeah I, I know who Mia Khalifa is I'm not <laughs> yeah the, the Burj Khalifa the Burj Khalifa he has to climb up it and it's so funny because it's like and you get this especially in the last three films where it's like right what situation do we have to contrive and they are contrived but that's what's fun about them so that Tom Cruise has to climb up a building you know yeah what like yeah and and there is a real divide in the franchise of like the first three are like just solid passable action films and then this this is the did you know Tom Cruise actually did this? Yeah, yeah. And so he climbs up that building with, with this thing, and then they have like a real tense like trade with the villains where they're pretending to be other people. Oh, and fuck, then, that's a good scene. Yeah, and then, you know, all this, all this, these big action stuff is happening. Um, what, the, the bit that blew me away in this film, and it's so dumb because it's just plot and it shouldn't, oh, it's story more than plot, but it like, it affected me so much. So, Basically, by setting up that Ethan's now married in Mission Impossible 3, I think the writers felt they had kind of a, a problem on their hands for continuing the series because they they now have to account for that. He has a wife, you know? Yeah. And so you learn at the start of Mission Impossible 4, oh, sorry, Ghost Protocol, that, um, that they broke up. And I was like, that's kind of cheap. Like, how do we hit the reset button? Oh, they broke up. It's like she's kind of the whole point of the third movie is that he's yeah. trying to save her. And I hated that. I hate in um, Kick-Ass 2 how the whole the girlfriend from the first film just breaks up with him right at the start and it's, like, treated as a joke. And yeah. I was like, what? That She was, like, the entire, like, she was the motivation. McGuffin. Yeah, yeah. Not really. But, um, and so... Um, Women and aren't then- objects. Yeah, so the the during the movie, Jeremy Renner's character joins in, and he's an analyst um, who works for IMF, and he sort of goes rogue with them because he's pulled into it, at least because he wants to. Um, and um, basically, after one of the big action set pieces, um, Ethan gets real mad at Jeremy Renner's character. I'm forgetting everyone's names, and I'm annoyed. Uh, I Jeremy Renner's character is called Brant. Uh, Brant. 
William William Brandt. And but, um, yeah, and- no, because there's um, when their mission goes wrong, um, Ethan and Brandt kick ass together, yeah. and then he's like, "How the fuck did you learn to do that?" Yeah. Yeah, and so he's like, "Oh, we all have secrets." And then Ethan leaves, and the and the the remaining characters there are like, "So what actually is going on here, man? Like, how do you do all this? You know, you're clearly not meant for the for analy- analyzing stuff for the, for the analyst field. You're clearly a field agent." And he tells the story about how he was the um, him and some others were the guardians for this um, this couple who used to be involved with the IMF, and they were. Um, Guarding them on a on a holiday they went on where they never they had to stay out of sight so they couldn't meet the couple and um and um and he goes and I was in charge of looking after the the husband and then one morning he goes for a run and I follow him and when I come back uh, my the two other guys who are supposed to look after his wife they're knocked out and she's been killed um, and they found her body uh, you know a couple of days later in, in the river. Um, and they're like, all right, so what is, you know, why why did you jump on helping us here? And, and he's like, well, oh, no, they, they say, what what happened? What, so what happened what to the husband? husband? And, yeah, and they're like, he's like, well, I never saw him again until three days ago when the secretary introduced me to Ethan Hunt. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, Fuck! <laughs> it, was, it was so. It was so good, dude. Yeah, like man. I got shivers. Yeah. I was like, "Fuck oh, yeah, man!" I'm so glad you what, like. Oh. What a good. This is storytelling, man. This is complex storytelling in in quote unquote dumb action films. Like that's Brad Bird, man. That's Brad Bird coming through there because yeah. this is the most storyish of all of them, I think. Um, oh, I'm so glad you said that because this actually they barely had a script when they started shooting they they <laughs> shot so when they uh after like their like first part of the mission they're in the van kind of like we've been disavowed as everyone in this um they shot that scene without knowing anything that happened before it <laughs> what on earth that's not how you make a movie <laughs> yeah I've, awesome, I've made a, i've made a short film like that before and it's not fun <laughs> that's so funny man um yeah so man ghost protocol is just so good yeah um, and also uh ving rames this is the only one he's in it he has a cameo at the end but he's barely in it um mm. um and that was because of budget cuts mm. they, they slashed the budget and they could no longer afford to have ving rames in the film um, yeah, because that—that's the other thing that's kind of the the anomaly of Ghost Protocol is that it's probably my favourite Mission Impossible film, but it doesn't have a particularly engaging villain, and it doesn't have Ving Rhames, and it's, he goes rogue for the for the third time. So you know <laughs> that those things should be real, like ugh, this this you know you've taken out the best parts and just recycling old material. But ah, oh, it is, so, and it's a good name. It's a good title. Yeah, Ghost Protocol. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, and, and we'll talk about titles later. Obviously, but mm. actually, we'll just we'll just talk about titles later. Um, yeah, but yeah, another thing, uh, just final thing about Ghost Protocol is that um, uh, Ruben Fleischer or Fleischer was approached to direct at one point, um, who's doing Venom now. Obviously, he did Zombieland as well. Yeah, Zombieland was his other film. Um, so it would have been post Zombieland because um, yep. that was twenty two thousand nine, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and so, the, yeah, that would have been, like, his next film. But then uh, he, he couldn't do it all, or for whatever reason. So they were like, oh, Simon, why don't you ask your mate Edgar Wright? And no. he was going to do it, but had to pull out because he was doing post on Scott Pilgrim. I don't know. I 
I think Brad Bird's the correct choice for this film. Hmm. Yeah, it's a perfect mix of like cartoony and kind of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. There's another the other scene that was real fucking cool was when they're at the when they're in the Kremlin and um they put up this big like silver yeah. screen and you're like what are yeah. they doing and then they like take a picture and they like analyze the guy's Good, eyes like, explaining how this works on a podcast yeah, like, no, oh, oh, <laughs> if you've seen the movie you know what I'm talking about but it's just real fucking cool and the fact that there's like almost no audio on that scene mm, it's that a really so cool. good scene a real that's good the scene. thing and I think that's why Ghost Protocol stood out for me um, especially in the the like shall we say the second trilogy why I think mm. it's probably the best of the last three is because it's it feels it feels like someone who's real stoked to get a Mission Impossible movie under their belt, and so they're <laughs> yeah. doing they're doing their very best, and they know like so. If you don't know, Brad Bird directed The Incredibles, um, Ratatouille. Um, so these are these are movies where. Um, in the if you talk about them as adults, you know, obviously as kids, you're like, oh, they're great. But as adults, <laughs> we talk about Pixar movies about their story and how well their structure is. And so, action movies, typically, if we were to generalize, we'd say action movies are quite light on story usually, yeah. just because they they don't need to be. Blur, you didn't come here for complex story. You came here for cars exploding. And that's true, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but as we said before, Mission Impossible are proof that when you do both, they're they're amazing. They're great. And so, um, yeah, you've put that guy who's in charge of, who's known for real good stories and real good dynamics between characters, and you yeah. put him behind the, the, the realm of, of action movie, and you say, hey, direct Mission Impossible 4, which shouldn't be good. And like, like, We'll, I'm sure we'll get to this later. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this bomb now. Mission Impossible is a perfect franchise. <laughs> like this is this is what this is, and this is a podcast about franchises. When we we t- we sometimes touch on this, that like if we were to write a thesis based off everything we've learned on this podcast, it would be around like what is a franchise? What are they supposed to do? That kind of stuff. And along with Scream and a few others, I think that are like essential to understanding what a franchise is i think this is a really interesting look at like a pure trajectory of one to six as we have so far because you can say like oh well you're not you're aj you're not even saying they get better if they go along if ghost protocol is the best one but if your fourth one can be the best one like (laughs) that's still pretty good and like you are you are uh, the way i see it is like a scale if you've got six and the best ones in the the second half, and the other two aren't bad. I don't, that's good. That's good stuff, man. That's interesting. And, and you know, you you could potentially be jumping the gun by saying that the fourth one is so definitively the best one. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, we'll 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 put a bow on the fourth one. And uh, Adrian, I'm going to ask you: Have you been listening to any podcasts lately? Um, I have been actually. I've been listening to our one. I re listen so to it. I. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> no, you keep going. Oh, do you want me? Okay, this is the plug. So we've been plugging a couple of other podcasts recently um, just to, you know, get each other's audiences, <laughs> tap into those precious audiences from similar podcasts. Um, so this week we're going to plug one called uh, The Book Guys. And um, 
or book guys show if you type in the book guys into your podcast finder you'll find it um and it's a podcast where they review books i listened to an episode before and as someone who doesn't read books i was like I should read more books. These people are smart as hell, man. It's so, so, like, classy and cultured. And, um, yeah, so here's, here's the trailer now. We'll listen to that now. Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka. Hi, this is Bernard Robichaud. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys. Hey there, it's Adam Curry from the No Agenda Show. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. This is Father Robert Balasser. Hello, this is Brian Brushwood, host of Scam School. And I dreamed the dream of the perfect book show. When I woke up, it was the book guys. And you were listening to the book guys. Book guys. Book guys. The book guys. You're listening to the book guys. The Book Guys Show, where we talk about books, audiobooks, audio dramas, podcasts, film and television, you name it. We're about more than just books. Search for Book Guys Show today in your favorite podcast app. Hey, Paul. Wait, who said that? This is Orson Scott Card. I thought I was the book guy. Now I find out you're the book guy. What am I? Oh, I guess I'm just the author of Ender's Game. Okay. Cool. So that was Book Guys. I listened to an episode before where they interviewed a a guy who does audiobooks, like a big audiobook voiceover tycoon. Oh, cool. And I was like, this is something we would do. We would find a guy who does heaps of voiceovers for yeah, for audiobooks and, and interview him. So that was really cool. So go check out those guys. Um, really good stuff. Really smart, engaging stuff. So, yeah, definitely check them out. Nice. Uh and it was a good trailer as well. Mm, it was a good trailer. So you should check them out just for that. Tell them Carl Pop should sent you. Mm. All right. <clears throat> so next, in 2015, we had Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Mm. So what's this one about? Um, this one is about, there's essentially, to summarize it in a sentence, there's an anti-IMF called the Syndicate um, that want to wreak havoc in the world. Yeah, so it's it's made up of like um, bad agents, yeah, um, from from all, uh, intelligence agencies from all around the world, and yeah, basically, yeah, uh, that's the who directed way this one. This was Chris McQuarrie. Chris McQuarrie. What has so, he done? Anything else? Uh, he did the Jack Reacher films. He wrote mm. um, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, him and uh, including uh, Fallout because he did that as well uh, he has done nine films with Tom Cruise in the last Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 11 years. Wow. So going by our um, theme that we kind of set up of how each film is indicative of its time period, um, this is a great example of something real inspiring a movie. There's a great cracked podcast I listened to once. One of the first podcasts I ever listened to on clone movie syndrome, like when mm-hmm. two very similar movies come out at the same time. And they talked about um, Armageddon and Deep Impact coming out at the same time. 
or roughly the same time. Both are about meteors. And they said, well, eight years before that, um, before both these movies came out, there was a meteor scare. And so, you know, that enters the public consciousness. Stuff turns over in Hollywood. And eventually, eight years later, they push out a movie about that thing that people were talking about eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and I believe this is the first post-missing airplane <laughs> movie in the in the Mission Impossible series. Yeah, because well, he mentions um, MH370 in the film. Yeah, so so this, this very much ties into stuff like that. Um, it ties into panic more than the others. It's about panic. And, and 2015, you could say, was a very panicked time. It's, if we had got a Mission Impossible in like 2002, 2003 it would have been so 9-11-y. Like, that's, <laughs> we've missed it. We've missed yeah. it. And so we've missed this, like, super culturally um, uh, thick time where where you could go, that's, an, that's a post-9-11 film. And this still is, but this is more post-9-11 than the other films. Um, yeah, no, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, also, uh, I think I forgot to say it for Ghost Protocol, but this film has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is actually the same as Ghost Protocol. Very interesting. I didn't. I by by no means did I think this was a bad film. I I would say this is the closest I came as to being disappointed, if only That's because I I really enjoyed Ghost Protocol, and this one, it was like okay, the the best scene's probably the first scene at the start. Um, which yeah, is so that's, that's all over the, the posters and yeah, the trailers yeah, yeah. Uh, of Tom Cruise hanging on to the outside of a plane, and yeah, which that's the first scene did. if you haven't seen this film. Yeah, and he actually did it. Uh, yeah. yeah, so he's he was strapped onto the plane, obviously. Um, but yeah, and uh, at some points, the plane got up to five thousand feet with him on the outside of it. <laughs> Frick, man. Yeah, but um, maybe I, Tom, I watched- Tom Cruise just does the stuff because he's like, I want to do that. Yeah, no, that's and actually, like, he's like, oh, we should do this. And then, um, but yeah, I think it took like 10 days to film. And they did the like eight, eight flights. But, um, right. I thought you meant the whole film for a second. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm talking on Graham Norton about doing this stunt. And so, because he said, like, it just as the plane, so he's holding onto the plane. And as it was like taxiing, and there was a lot of wind, he was like, and that was like one of the only people like, fuck this is a real bad idea <laughs> like <laughs> like and before he even lifted off that was like he was like oh okay um <laughs> and then he's like holding onto the plane and he said um he got um when he's up there like i mean imagine if like a bird had like gotten in but he said like a pebble hit him in the ribs and he said it was like insane he thought he'd like cracked a rib and stuff like that um but you know, it was like it was pretty minimal damage. But it's like at that speed and that altitude. Um, but yeah, he. It's imagine if that like had hit his face, hmm. and that that would have like just shut down the film for ages. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he said that, that that was actually pretty pretty terrifying. And the other big stunt in this film is the big underwater scene, hmm. um, where he's like goes and dives, and to do this scene, he had to train himself to be able to hold his breath for six minutes. Which is- Are you serious? Why, man? Yeah. I was watching that scene, and in the movie they say three minutes. You have to hold your breath for three minutes. And I was like, oh, I'd be out. I'd be... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Goodbye, but, guys. Yeah, I so can see, barely muster a minute. They did, uh, like, four-minute takes, but once you go underwater, you have to wait for all the bubbles to clear, and then you have to do it, and then you have to... Like, so there's all this other stuff that adds, like, an extra minute or so, but he, he learned to hold it for, like, six minutes. He was talking... 
uh, to like Jude Law was there and he had done an underwater scene for like 90 seconds or something like that. And but Tom was like, this is it was actually like it's terrifying. He said, like it's actually it, it becomes physically really painful. And he said that's like he wouldn't do that again. Like that's one of those like it's real. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, I'm sure I'm sure he would scene, do it again if he had to. But again, the scene doesn't look that real. <laughs> you reckon? I I mean, I could believe that could be CGI. Like obviously, not everything that's happening in the scene where he goes underwater is real because. He gets knocked by a big mechanical arm and swung around a giant room. I'm assuming that was, you know, set up so he wasn't actually unexpectedly knocked or something like that. Well, You're about to know. tell me he was. <laughs> it's um, like, well, AJ, he actually <laughs> did it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any like, behind-the-scenes footage or stuff like that, but yeah, he held his breath for six minutes, uh, which is fucking insane. I didn't th- even think that was possible. No, there's like free, di- free divers that can hold it for a real long time. and. Wow. Let's should we check the world record? Yep. Check in the world record. Check in the world record. Ooh, baby, do you know what uh, that's ch- worth? Okay, Ooh. can you do you want to guess the world record? Ten minutes. Twenty two minutes and twenty two seconds. Nuts. How can you do that? Um But yeah, basically you like uh you you have to like slow your heart rate and so your body's using less oxygen and stuff like that. But fuck, 22 minutes. Imagine that. Holding, <gasps> putting on an episode of The Simpsons, and then as the credits roll. <gasps> <laughs> That's how they practiced. <laughs> uh, yeah, So and also there's, there's a big guy, like, stunt driving as well, like, driving through Monaco. It's Monaco, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise in the car, and they did all their own driving stunts, and apparently the stunt team... Uh, told Simon Pegg they're like yeah Tom's gonna do all the driving because he's literally the best driver we have <laughs> like oh, man. like the the stunt the the team of st- specially t- trained stunt drivers don't have a better stunt driver than Tom Cruise wow that's crazy yeah so I guess if I was to try and pinpoint what let me down about this film I would say that again the the best scenes at the start but also like I th- that might actually just be it is that the the main set pieces aren't spaced throughout the movie enough so you've you get left with like oh okay oh i don't know yeah like i fucking loved this film man oh no i did too and i feel like i've come in on the wrong the wrong like head on like yeah this is like like the the dro- the chase scenes are amazing the the scene that's like above the opera is so mm. good they're yeah, like having this big fight above the opera. It's real similar to, there's a similar scene in Quarter of Solus, actually. But, um, oh, it's the way it's tied to the music and the fights are yeah. coming. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, it is good. Uh, yeah, it's just a real, real cool, cool <laughs> film. But um, what, what you were saying about twin movies before, I thought you were going to say, is that um, there's this film came out in 2015 and then a year later, about 18 months later, or a year later, um, Rogue One came out. And apparently um, Disney and Paramount actually came to an agreement that Disney wouldn't promote Rogue One until Rogue Nation was out of cinemas. I've never even thought about those two films together before. Right, really? Yeah. But crazy. yeah, no, it's interesting because it's like it's not beneficial to either studio to have people confused. To have the audience yeah. be like, Ro- oh, what, Rogue? And and like, yeah. This Ro- Rogue Nation did come out the same year as Spectre, though, the James Bond film, and they are pretty similar stories as well so 
Yeah, but what what do you imagine that two spy films in the same year? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, true. But did you know that 2015 actually saw the release of Rogue Nation, Spy, Kingsman, Sicario, Spectre, Black Mass, Survivor, Queen of the Desert, Bridge of, Bridge of Spies, The Man from Uncle, MI5, and Mordecai, which all have spies in. <laughs> And none of them were a match for Mordecai. <laughs> yeah, that was my big finale. But yeah, there's a yeah. film called MI5 that came out the same year as MI5, um, Mission Impossible 5. <laughs> um, was yeah, it made it stars, by Asylum? It stars Kit Harrington, and the poster is real similar, and it looks real bad because Kit Harrington's in it, and anyone from Game of Thrones is a terrible actor outside of Game of Thrones. Um, anyway. Do, do you have the guy, who, the like head producer of Asylum Films? Yeah. Who's like, he, he, you know, if you don't know what Asylum Films is, they make like transmorphers and snakes on a train and Sharknado. They made Sharknado. Um, did they actually? Because it was sci fi. They did. It? No. They made Sharknado. Well, I'm anyway. pretty sure it's, it's sci fi. <laughs> Maybe it's both. I don't know. Anyway, he's following us on Instagram. He's oh, one really? message away from like an interview for this podcast, but I've never seen any of his films. Yeah, dude, it's and sci-fi. I really, I, I really right. don't want to watch them. Well, he's following us, and it says Asylum on his Instagram, and he also has all this stuff about friggin' Sharknado. So I don't know. It's his fault, not mine. Anyway, oh wait, what no, are we it was distri- about- no, you're right. It was it was produced by Sci-Fi and distributed by the Asylum. Oh, I'm holding my hands up in victory, everybody. We we were able to both be right. Corroborate my victory, Richard. No, it was a, it was a shared victory. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, talking of, uh, we've said this for the other films, directors, um, Brad Bird was going to direct, but he did Tomorrowland instead. Um, and Chris, Chris McQuarrie was brought in at Tom's request. So, at what point did Tom Cruise stop being like, ah, oh, get a different director for each Well, one. maybe Ghost Protocol was just so fucking good that they were like, yeah, let's get Brad back. Yeah. Um, but also, this was um, this is the first time that there's no jump and hang in a film. That's true, yeah. So, the jump and hang, as we said in the first one, where he like is an inch above the ground. And the second one, he does it from a helicopter into a building. Um, same sort of scenario the my favorite one was the third one was the like subversion of it where it's he falls out of a building with a a torn um parachute and he's falling towards the ground and it catches on something and he's hanging like you know a couple inches above the ground by accident i was like there you go there's the Mm. obligatory hang what was it in protocol and ghost protocol uh jeremy renner's character does it um with the magnets ah yeah okay uh, I really want to talk about that scene, but I forgot to talk about it when we were talking oh, just, about Ghost Protocol. Um, this so podcast going to be fucking long. What's the point? Of, like, yeah. may as well be a little bit longer. Yeah. So basically, the the situation is is that um, Brant has to um, jump into a a computer, a giant computer, and the only reason he knows he's not going to splatter into the fan is because he's wearing a magnet suit that Simon Car- Simon Pegg's character Benji is controlling remotely that'll like allow him to hang and like move at like anti gravity. And they're like, "All right, jump, Brent," and he's like, "You, you just want me to jump?" And I've never related to a scene more in my life <laughs> than knowing, then looking at a at a drop and thinking. They just want me to drum. I can't do it. I can't do it. 
like I was like, what a good scene that is. Like he like hypes himself up and he like instead of jumping, he sort of just like falls off. I would do that, Richard. I would just I would get on my belly and just pull myself off. I wouldn't <laughs> just I pull yourself jump. off. I, I would be. It's too hardly scared. the time for that, AJ. Yeah, oh, it's so funny, man. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, also another, like, just my last little fun fact. Um, at the start of this film, he... At oh, the start of Rogue Nation. Yeah, I've got two fun facts, actually. At the start okay. of this film, um, he gets the mission, should you choose to accept it, this will self-destruct. It's on an LP at a mm. at a vinyl record shop. Apparently, that's, like, one of the first ways they did it on the TV show. Oh, cool. Um, and also, this is the first, and I think maybe only time, definitely the first time, that um, Ethan and the antagonist never come in physical contact. Who's the oh um Lang Lang yeah. Lane. They don't meet each other. No, they they don't physically touch. Oh, they do. They don't touch. Right. Interesting. Mm. Cool. Lane Lane's a good villain. I liked him. Mm. Sean, what's his name? Sean. Sean Harris. Yeah, he's yeah. he does a good, really good job. Is he in anything else? Uh, he's mostly known from TV, and apparently he was reluctant to take the role in the film because he was like, oh, I don't know. And then, but then the scene that convinced him to do it—that was like this big discussion—was actually cut from the film. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he's it, he's mainly got a creepy accent, and that adds to yeah, it. Yeah, apparently so. Benedict Cumberbatch was looked at at one point. Yeah, he was the first person considered. Um, anyway, next, and also that that uh, film introduced Rebecca Ferguson, and the reason that the the woman in uh, the team from Guys Protocol didn't return was because uh, they were unavailable. She was unavailable. So mm, okay. it felt it felt vaguely sexist. Yeah, it's just like get another girl and they won't notice. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's just not like she's playing the same character, but at the end of Ghost Protocol makes a makes a point out of being like, this is the new team. It's Jeremy Renner, it's Simon Pegg, it's Ving Rhames, it's Tom Cruise, and this other actress. <laughs> and then she's Paul the Patton is in there. Um, yeah. All right. So now, uh, am I sexist for not knowing her name? From this point on, there will be spoilers for a film that is currently in cinemas, so we'll put a time code in. Um, maybe it's at one thirty-four, so you can listen to an entire episode's worth of the podcast before getting to the spoiler. Yeah, man. All right. So, twenty eighteen saw the our second franchise in a row to feature in a film that came out this year, um, Mission Impossible Fallout. The first was Pup Star, by the way. We've got a very uh, something very special. AJ, I didn't tell you about this oh, uh, in advance, but we've actually got Tom Cruise here to tell us the plot of the film. Tom, take it away. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm very I'm very honored to to be here, guys. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show, and um, I'm really glad that you saw my new movie. Uh, so basically, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, where I return as. Uh, Ethan Hunt of the IMF Impossible Mission Force. Um, I, I, I've forgotten what this movie is about because I'm so concentrating on doing this voice right. Um, Wait, what do you mean doing this voice? I, I'll, I'll tell you when you're older. Wait, are you? <laughs> I'm your dad. Are Richard. you not Tom Cruise? No, I'm your dad. Ah, oh, that is, that is really uncool. <laughs> Wow! Oh, oh, that's just, a fucking. Just, that's a reference and a half. <laughs> that might be. 
the most niche, immediately need to be explained reference we've ever done <laughs> Do you know, on yeah, this show. Is that like once I said it, your screen froze, so you didn't react at all, and then I heard you be like, "Oh, that's a reference," and I realised that it had frozen because I thought you just didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to explain this or am I? Who's going to make up for your reference, Richard? <laughs> hey, who's who's going to do the answering for this? That that presented itself perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in New Zealand, there's a broadcaster who's been on the air for a long time. named Simon Barnett, and he's a huge, huge Tom Cruise fan. When Tom Cruise was in the country uh, filming Fallout, he was like, um, oh, we should try to get into a Tom Cruise. Wouldn't they be able to try to get into a Tom Cruise? And then one day he finally managed to land an interview with what he thought was Tom Cruise. But it was actually a professional Tom Cruise impersonator, which was set up by a, another group of um, broadcasters called JJ, Mike and Dom. And just fun fact for the listeners out there who aren't aware of this, uh, JJ and Dom are two, two of the literally worst people on the planet. Um <laughs> Like, honestly, I, I after this whole thing, and it's not just related to that, because I don't really particularly care about Simon Budnett that much, but uh, I was like, you know what? <laughs> to call, to compare JJ and Dom to cancer is an insult to cancer, because at least cancer is furthering cancer research. Um, <laughs> but anyway, and then uh, when, when they were like, oh, it's not actually Tom Cruise, we just pranked you. He was just like, oh, mm. that is that is really uncool. Oh. Yeah. And then there was like his one of the girls in the studio was like crying. Yeah, look, it's it's a horrible time, and something very similar happened on this podcast a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but no, basically, yeah, this the I don't know what's a what's an international Simon Simon Barnett equivalent. Uh, he's like Anton Dick, kind of. Who's that? Uh, the 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 British guys. So he's he's fine. His his nephew actually used to be part of the Cold Pop family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Joe, who you may remember from some of our episodes last year, is actually Simon Barnett's uh, nephew. Um, no, he's like my mum listens to to their radio station. Yeah, no, yeah, he, he, he's the one that your mum listens to. Not just yeah. you, but he's so, the one that your mum listens to. He he's the most inoffensive dude. Like just a just a, your 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 typical. TV radio personality, and the 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 um, radio station that pranked him are like the radio station that all the the drunk teenagers listen to. <laughs> like you know, like, yeah. It's it was a so it was a it was like imagine if you pranked your dad. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what it was like. Like, and it was just really hard to listen to and really sad. Like it wasn't. That's funny. The thing. It it's, was, it's like it's like the the podcast we did. It's not funny. It's real sad. Um, yeah. But anyway, and, after that as well, because Tom Cruise was actually in the country, and everyone's oh, we should try and get like Tom Cruise to actually do an interview with them, or like make you know, you know, how these fucking things come up. Something bad happens to someone, and they're like, like the the shooting yeah. at the Dark Knight Rises. Everyone's like, Christian Bale should visit them, and it's like he's under no obligation to do that. You're just like. <laughs> um, but he did anyway. But um, they're like, oh, Tom Cruise should actually do an interview, and. Tom Cruise's people released a statement being like, no, he's not going to. Yeah, I, I guess like the gravitas difference between a, a mass shooting and a radio host getting pranked is, is, is a bit of a smaller margin. I only bring that up because there is like this tendency to be like, oh, a celebrity should do this. And it's like, oh, well, like now they have to. But yeah. like 
You're in an obligation because people signed a petition on your behalf. No, no one has to do anything. I doubt Tom Cruise even heard about it, man. Who's going to tell Tom Tom Cruise Cruise that? uh, In quotation marks, Tom Cruise officially responded to it by saying he's not going to do an interview, but it was like his people. So obviously someone actually contacted him for an interview. Um, Unless, you know, the whole scary don't talk to Tom Cruise thing came over and they he'll never do it. It was just like he's just not doing any press when he's in New Zealand, which is fair enough. Um, he did actually. He did come to Auckland though, and um, I work for the news, and they we got a shot of him um, going to the, visit the Scientology Center in, in Auckland. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> what a what <laughs> what a thing to have him do. Oh, that sucks. That's that's when you're reminded that that this like lovable action star is like like the face of one of the worst organizations in yeah. modern um, society but so anyway yeah um, ethan hunt's going on a mission um basically it's uh, the villain from the last one's still alive he's got these apostles which are like the uh, uh, the rogue agents from the syndicate and shit like that um but so ethan hunt's from the imf but he's forced to bring along uh agent august walker from the cia who's played by henry cavill with sporting a mustache which we'll talk about in a second and so basically uh they've got two different um sort of uh approaches to their work um and at one point angela bassett who plays the head of the cia refers to it as like ethan hunt's a scalpel i prefer a hammer and i thought that was a real good line because mm. it like perfectly describes that like ethan hunt even though he does go you know haywire at some point it, it's it's always about like undetected and very precision whereas mm. henry cavill's approach is more like just punch everything um it's revealed that Henry Cable's a double agent uh, and yeah. <laughs> all this stuff. And you've got the big set pieces and there's, there's like a big helicopter chase and, and a bunch mm. of other stuff. But I want to talk for a bit about the marketing for this film. Because yeah. for me, I was like, like this, the, the first trailer for this film, I was like, this is so good. I like, I have to see this film. So... I was going to do it outside of Film Franchise Fortnights, and then if we get it for Film Franchise Fortnights in two weeks, I'd just have to watch it again. But yeah. having seen the movie now, it's a real weird trailer. Well, I don't remember it, but tell me about it. So it starts off, and it goes, Come fight the victim! <laughs> no, I'm not going to just say okay. the whole trailer. That's not even how it starts, actually. It starts with um, Sean Harris going, Your mission should you choose to accept it. I wonder, Hunt, did you ever not accept it? Um, so it opens with a scene in the snow where, like, there's barbed wire with blood dripping from it, and Ethan Hunt's, like, walking up to a door with his gun, and he, like, slowly opens it. That scene's not in the film. Um, hmm. And then it cuts to, like, we see this rave, and, like, that's in the film, and then there's, like, uh, Ethan's like swinging from uh, cables on top of the rave. That's not in the film either. And then the uh, end of it is like he's in a helicopter driving towards a truck that's oncoming, and that's like the the big finale shot of the trailer. Uh, that's not in the film, but it's like it's it's edited to look like he's in a truck driving towards another truck but he, if you look closely he's clearly in a helicopter you see it two shots beforehand um and in this in that that shot in the film he's in the helicopter with another helicopter rolling towards him mm. um well and another thing as well is that 
um, Walker being revealed as the villain. Yeah, that's the other big thing. Quite late in the film. Yeah, yeah, that's like. And I knew going into this that Henry Cavill plays the villain in Mission Impossible Six. Yeah, and, and so that's a spoiler. Like, yeah, the the, like, the trailer is pretty like it sets like, oh, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, and then yeah, it's real weird because it's almost like the trailer go. The trailer says uh, Henry Cavill's the villain, but then the first third of the movie goes out of its way to show you that the trailer misled you. Yeah, it could have easily, very easily been um, they set aside their differences and learn to work together. Like, that could have easily been the arc of the film. Well, like, I don't know. But I don't know if they, like, specifically made this for people who analyze, who watch the trailer a bunch of times kind of thing. But there's a lot of shots in the trailer that, like, when you see how they are in the actual film, you're like, oh, he wasn't talking about that or he wasn't doing this or... Um, like the big uh, bathroom fight scene in the trailer, it looks like um, Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise are fighting each other, but they're actually fighting a third party. Mm. And yeah, so yeah. I was like, oh, and so like part of me in the back of my head was like, oh, maybe the trailers were specifically edited to make Henry Cavill look like a villain when he's actually not. Mm. But then he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It that is really weird. That being said, um, this is, if not the best, the second best movie. Yeah, fuck, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good, man. Yeah. So oh, my gosh. This has 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's the highest rated one of the series. Wow. The sixth film. Yeah. Even, like, critically critically, the sixth one is the highest. Also, that might be the only time this has ever happened. Do you want to... Um, so, it, like, mostly all positive reviews, but do you want to read... One of the only negative reviews for this film says, "Yeah, uh, this is from Ruben Sapphire from Cinema Log. The film holds up well as an action piece, but the intrigue dissolves when we step outside the theater and read about the clandestine way twelve Russian military intelligence officers were caught in the act interfering the, when the twenty sixteen U.S. elections. So they gave it a rotten review because of that. <laughs> um, that yeah. should that should be removed." Like, that's not a review. That's like, he says, it's a good movie, but uh, the real world is bad. Yeah. That's not how you review films. Mm. Yeah. And again, bringing back to what we're talking about, how every film is indicative of its time. I was worried going into this because I was like, oh, this theory is such a cool idea. It's really cool to think of a one single franchise being the poster child for all these different eras of, of like time. And while Fallout is 100% the only true sequel in the Mission Impossible series, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is a this is the quantum of solace to Rogue Nation's Casino Royale, not in terms of quality, in terms of um how it, how it plays off it. Um but this is ladies and gentlemen, the first post-Trump Mission Impossible film. And mm. if I were to be teaching a university class on this and if i were to be grasping at whatever straws i could to do a political reading of this film um the thing that struck to to, like about like all of it to me was that if you were to pitch rogue nation as it's the anti-imf you would pitch fallout as it's the anti-ethan hunt and because that's that's what that's what august uh, Walker's character is is that he's the opposite of Ethan in so many ways and so what I read if we're doing a political reading into this film what I read into it was these are 
you know, un- undefined but still warring ideologies. And yeah. if there's one thing I'm sick of doing in my social groups these days, it's having warring I- ideologies <laughs> with our very divided thinking in, in all over the world now. Because one, as you say, is a scalpel, one's a hammer. And maybe that's not a perfect metaphor for the right versus the left, but it's still like it's less about which is which and more about when two very different ways of thinking go at it, you know, try, do try to do the same job. Hmm. So there's there's my finish of the theory that they're all indicative of their time period. Nice. Um, well, that, that was good closure. Hmm. Um, yeah, they... Um, you know you know the, this franchise better than I do, but part of... I don't know. Part, part of it's like might be true, and I want to see get your thoughts on it. But did you see like this was kind of what happens if Mission Impossible teams up with James Bond? Yeah, that's that's totally a way of looking at. It. I don't know. Yeah, I guess James Bond is more hammer than scalpel, but not James Bond's a lot more complex. Yeah, it varies from movie that. to movie as well, and actor yeah, to actor yeah. as well. But um, this what what Mission Impossible feels like. As I see, as as the series as it is now, is James Bond if there were no studio mandated rules hanging over it. Right. This feels this feels a lot more free. This is the Marvel to James Bond's DC in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. this this feels like people who know what they're doing. And I like James Bond. And it's got so many films on Mission Impossible that it's like you could talk about the different eras of James Bond compared to it. But especially after Spectre, which I found very disappointing. The these films are more um, uh, hands off the steering wheel. Let's see what happens. Than James yeah. Bond, especially Spectre, which felt very safe. And these films don't feel safe. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Um. But yeah. Um. Also, Jeremy Renner doesn't return for this one. Yes. Yeah. Um. Which was interesting because it's like he he could have easily just slotted into it, but he was busy with uh, Avengers. Right. Which he wasn't I, do in. You know, <laughs> do you know what, though? Is that I kind of like the idea of not having the same... Like, if we get seven, eight, nine, however many more Mission Impossible films, I kind of don't want Simon Pegg to be in all of them. You know? I, really? I kind of want to think of the different phases of it. And, you know, these were the three films, three or four films that Simon Pegg was in. You know? Like, like Rogue Nation is the most Simon Peggiest of them all. Like, he's the second main character in Rogue Nation. Yeah, actually, a thing I forgot to mention in Rogue Nation, because, like, in uh, Mission Impossible 3, he's just, like, the, the IT guy. And then by the, between 3 and 4, he's done, like, field training. But Ethan still kind of treats him like the IT mm-hmm. guy. But there's, like, a moment in, in Rogue Nation where he's like, I, I'm actually a field agent. You have to respect me. Yeah. And I really liked that. Yeah. But yeah, then it's it is, like- It is cool. Yeah, like but he's 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 just not as good as Ethan. But you can't help but think that had Simon Pegg not played Benji in that in Mission Impossible Three, it would have just been a completely new character. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fine. That's not even really a bad thing necessarily. Um, but yeah, I kind of the the my worry going into Fallout was like these movies are so great because they all came out at least four years after each other. Uh, I think. Yeah, four years. Four yeah, years like is the most it had four been. Four years, now. six years, five years, four years, three years. 
three years is a lot less time to be able to for the for Hollywood to change, which is kind of what I love about the Mission but Impossible. But then series. Hollywood has gone through a massive change. Yes, that's true. That's true. It, it, interestingly, it doesn't really reflect any of the that kind of Hollywood changing stuff. But um, yeah. But then because you think filming started so early, yeah, yeah um, exactly. and there was shut down for a while. Yeah. Um, but this is very much this movie makes rogue. This feels like the completion of Rogue Nation. And yeah, so it, this this feels like a sequel, and so it needed it is a sequel, and it needed to come out this close to Mission Impossible Five because they're doing something different now, where it's not like this is the this is the third part of a trilogy. This is the second part of two films, and I don't know if the if the seventh one will continue on, but it does make sense then to have the same narrative voice behind five and six because. Well, it feels like the same story. It's funny you said because the only reason Chris McQuarrie like agreed to do it was he was like, I feel like a different director now. There you go, man. Having done it. And because he was like, because Tom was like, no, nah, I want you back for it. And apparently, um, like, um, they they were like driving back from the premiere or something like that. And Chris was like, oh, he's like, oh, I've got a, a good idea for the next one. And then Tom Cruise was like, oh, I have to break Lane out of prison to because they need it for something. And he was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And yeah, then, that's so, cool. like, they, you know, they, they came up with it together. And, but yeah, Tom was like, no, I, I want you to do the next one. Mm. Um, which is cool. But yeah, a um, lot of good, a lot of, lot of good stuff in this movie. This, this has some real good set pieces. And yeah. uh, this film has 3,000 setups. 13 helicopters, six pregnancies, five hiatuses, four weeks of aerial photography, three continents, two winters, and one broken ankle. Um, wow. Just that was on the IMDb trivia. I thought it was cool. Uh, but yeah, the broken ankle. So there's a shot in this film where there's a whole sequence of Tom's like running through over Tom. rooftops of London. And it's a fucking great scene. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he jumps over one building and hits his ankle because um, he like doesn't quite make the jump, but like that was always the stunt was him to like jump and then grab onto the other side and then get up yeah. and keep running. But his his ankle like bends backwards, and they use the shot in the film because they couldn't get another take of it. Um, and then he gets up and starts running away, but it's on a broken foot, uh, and you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I that mean, shut down production for like six weeks, I think, and wow. they um. Yeah, I saw an interview with Henry Cavill. He was talking about that, like, he broke his ankle and they were like, you're not going to be able to walk on this for six months and you might never be able to run again. Tom Cruise is like, no! And then six weeks later, he was running on it. All I am is running. Yeah. Like, did you see there's a... You should look it up if you, if you want in this for the audience as well. Look it up. But um, someone did an analysis of... Uh, how far Tom Cruise runs at his movies is like directly correlates to how good the movie is, and I agree. Yeah, no, he runs totally so is. much in Ghost Protocol. Yeah, and in Fallout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the end of Protocol, of sorry, of Fallout is so awesome. Um, it's like it's saving. It's like it's like the rest of the movie has awesome moments in it, but it's like it's saving it for that helicopter sequence to be like the, all right, boys, <laughs> what's on yeah. the menu today, kind of thing. And yeah. it is so intense. And we talked before about how IMF is for impossible missions. You watch this and you're like, yeah, this is impossible. 
this whole thing is impossible yeah. and that's what's wonderful about it and like they like he crashes a helicopter into another helicopter and survives and then they fall off and they're stuck in a helicopter as it's like falling down a, a um a cliff face and in then queenstown the, the, new zealand yeah yeah and the the kind of last moment of the film is both um Ethan and August like climbing up this rock face as the the rope they're hanging to is slowly dragging across the rock and crumbling and um uh Walker's like got half his face is burned off and it's like oh you are the villain <laughs> you, you have ascended to like true villainy right now just cause yeah, because he looks worse I guess because he's but- now like they've made Superman two-face yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they 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 climb up, and then he um he like yank he grabs onto the wall to free climb because he's Tom Cruise, and he yanks the hook, and it flies down. And uh, if you watch that in slow motion, man, I'm pretty sure the hook like gouges Henry Cavill's eye. As it goes, it, like, into, his, it goes into his forehead and like pulls yeah. it back. Ah, <laughs> uh, and it's such a clinically Cathartic. wonderful. Yeah, it's like. Remember when bad guys used to be hated, and remember when bad guys used to die like this? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like, like we, we, there's nothing wrong with sort of complex and sympathetic villains, but I do miss the old. This guy's just evil, and he hates you. He hates you, the main character. Like yeah. you know, like there's a there's a hatred, and that final scene where they're fighting and they're punching each other on the cliff face before they fall off. I was like, this is charged you know what i mean like this is like fueled by not only testosterone by not only the fact that we're watching an action movie but these two characters they don't they don't share a lot emotionally between each other but just where where they stand on the chessboard that is intelligence right like like they are opposing forces and baby they're gonna fight to the death here they are broken and battered and bruised. They both they just both survived a helicopter crash, individual helicopter crashes, and now they're gonna fight because it's fucking Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, man. It's yeah. so awesome. And uh, can we just like give a shout out to Henry Cavill reloading his arms? <laughs> oh my god. And the trailer, that's yeah. so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's so stupid, but he like I mean, just go watch the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> he, he like reloads his arms, and it's fucking incredible. And there's like clip. There's like I saw a clip of like they're interviewing the the cast, and they're like talked about, and the whole the whole cast like do it, Henry, do it, Henry, do it, Henry. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, speaking of Henry Cavill as well, he obviously has a mustache in this film, and mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, Paramount just like swung their massive dick and. <laughs> ruined another film because of it um but yeah basically it was in his contract uh that he was forbidden to shave his beard he's got like stubble but a defined mustache for the role and uh they received a phone call from the justice league producer during production and were like hey we're gonna get him back for superman um and then co-producer of mission impossible was like okay Cavill could shave his beard um and we'll shut down production while he does his reshoots and then Warner Brothers can play three million dollars for additional visual effects on shots of Cavill after completing his Superman reshoots. Unfortunately, Paramount uh found out that they were trying to do this and like, nah, nah, he can't shave his beard. You can fucking have him with a mustache. Um, 
It's so weird. There's it's like it's like it's like they went like Justice League went with the worst way to remedy this problem. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like right, let's get a baby out. and superimpose that on Henry Cavill. Um because like if 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 he had just grown his the rest of his beard out, I could have accepted Superman with a scraggly beard, you know? Yeah, like Yeah. Um but the, hey, the mustache looks great and I reckon I reckon the only reason he has a mustache is that he stands out like, like iconically. Like he's not just another thick-necked white brunette dude who's mm. going head to head with Tom Cruise. He's like he looks he looks specific. You could describe this person. He's he's a pretty good villain, actually. Mm. But um he also utters the franchise's only F bomb. And how good is it? Yeah. So good. It's good because it's like he's just angry. It's just real angry. Yeah. What does he say? He's like, why'd you have to make this so fucking complicated? And it's it's the reveal that he's the villain. Um Okay, let me let me let me slowly pick at a thread here. Do you think that it's kind of lame that because I feel like it's cool to have him be the CIA's hammer and then you learn that's not actually what he is. He's actually a double agent who's an anarchist who wants to disrupt the new world order. It's if I was to critique this movie on anything, I would say it's very hard to believe that a white American man would be an anarchist. <laughs> like it's, it's not your typical like if if when he was revealed to be the villain, he changed accents or something like that. And, I don't know. Uh, yeah, do you know what my issue with this film was? What? Um, so the the kind of doomsday event in this film is that there's two nuclear bombs um, that have like. If you defuse one, it'll detonate the other one, and it's accurate to within like one tenth of a second. So you couldn't be like three, two, one, cut. Um, and then also, there's like the detonator. So there's like all these things they have to like do all these things at like certain times. But I was like, why don't you just have a device that, or like like you know, make up a device that's like two, um you know, wire cutters that are connected to one like button and it will snip both at the same time within one tenth of a one one hundredth of a second. I don't know, man. It is kind of risky, isn't it? Yeah, but like that that to me feels <laughs> they're, like they're that's all, just how by you the do time it. by the time they work out that's what they need to do, they're already yeah, without Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't be able to build it. But yeah, I was like, that's how you do it. Um, so that's, that's our film by film discussion, but now I, st- I still have more I want to talk about. Could, could I lead the charge on something? Yes. Can we talk about titles? Yes. We talk about titles a lot on this podcast. Because I want to start at Fallout because it's, I've got the quote here, the full quote when the title bomb okay, drops. Yeah. Because, because before, before the movie, it's very nuclear apocalypse based. So you go, okay, Fallout, because it's nuclear fallout but um when they capture lane um and some of this is in the trailer i i guess but i just thought this was actually quite a beautiful line and a really good title bomb and a really emotional thing to call your movie i guess so the full line is is when they've caught lane and he's, he's talking to ethan and he says your mission should you choose to accept it i wonder did you ever choose not to the end you always feared is coming and the blood will be on your hands the fallout of all your good intentions that's that's really good, dude. Mm. That's a really good idea. That's a really good idea for a title. It's a really good idea to base your emotional thread around. Like, 
because it's very the culmination of everything you know because by the way ethan's wife isn't dead we, i didn't mention she, she, when we talked like an hour ago about how she died she didn't she's not actually dead she was in hiding yeah um, and and basically so, yeah it's like uh, either you're gonna have to keep going away and saving the world or the world isn't gonna get saved because you're with me so yeah we shouldn't be together yeah so i mean putting that in mind you know everything that ethan's been through and he doesn't quite have as much tragedy as james bond whose wife actually betrayed him then died like it's still i really dig um seeing a culmination of a character arc in that way like this is what you've all been through and then this piece of shit is like looking at you in the eyes and he says you know this the world's going to end and it's going to be because of you and it'll be the fallout of your all your good intentions everything you tried to do it didn't work, man, because the world's going to end anyway. And it's it, like, that's what Spectre tried to do, kind of. But this is, uh, I just really like that. So that was yeah. where I wanted to start talking about titles. Well, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, well, you know, it might have been nice to start at the start. but um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was more coming off Fallout. I yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah, yeah. attach that um, to the end. But yeah, so the titles uh, do something interesting. And you've talked about this before, is that it uses numerals. And actually, fun fact, officially, it's, Mission colon impossible, mission colon impossible, the numeral two, and then mission colon impossible, I, I, I. Yeah. So they, they use different numberings. Yeah. And then also because so, there's already a colon in the title, they can't use a colon for the subtitle. So it's mission colon impossible hyphen ghost protocol. And they use that for Rogue Nation and yeah. Fallout. So until I watched this series, I would have said mission impossible with perfect titles perfect the only thing that i could really fault it on initially was like the initial mission impossible isn't like amazing of a you know it's fine it's whatever it's kind of clunky but whatever um but i love i love going from numerics to like once you get four don't keep putting numbers in your titles tedious like it's gonna get confusing i think that's probably the marketing reason why they decided to to start calling them something but be whatever reason they still keep to their patterns you can change your pattern if you keep to your pattern for like you know so like one two three ghost protocol rogue nation fallout like cool these are good titles i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten though because i didn't realize till just today when i was photoshopping the thumbnail for this episode that it is the number two and then roman numerals three which kind of is like, ah, you're so close. Mm-hmm. But I would have preferred if they had stuck with, with whatever numerals they wanted to do. Yeah. And also, like, we, we briefly touched on this, but, like, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout, they're all just cool words. Yeah, like, yeah they are. You don't have to know what Ghost Protocol means. It's just a cool-sounding word. Yeah. And I forgot to mention this. Um, Ghost Protocol and, and the TV series How Met Your Mother, which I know you're not a big fan of and I'm no longer a big fan of, but there's an episode when um, they they talk about this girl who has, like, an amazing bod and um, Ted is talking to Barney and he's like, um, he's like, dude, I'm telling you, this girl's body is redonkulous. And he's like, wait a minute, Ted. The only thing you've ever described as redonkulous was Mission Impossible Gross Protocol. <laughs> and, they're like, and he's like, this girl has the Mission Impossible Gross Protocol of bodies. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's funny. It's like one of those things of like people talking like real people. Yeah. Um, they could wreck it in the next one by calling it Mission Impossible 7. Yeah. You know, that's that's the only teetering block we're but on now. the leading creative voice behind these films, and you'll be so pleased to know this, um, Tom Cruise 
actually cares about titles as much as we do. He no! was so glad, like he really pushed for it. He was so stoked that they started calling them Ghost Protocol. Like they started doing the subtitles. He, he like he pushed for that and he wanted to change it because he uh, he wants them to feel like installments, you know. Yeah, yeah. So each one of the series. So in honor of Tom Cruise, who we've been here talking for over two hours about, um, what let, let's go back and rename the first three films. Okay, I was thinking of this, and I feel like there's an obvious answer. Yeah, but w- would we'll, you give one for the first one? Or like, cause, no, just call it Mission Impossible. But say if you have to give it a subtitle, what would you call it? I don't know, man. Um, I can't even remember the. I don't think you need to. The the yeah. knock list is the yeah the knock, yeah. knock list. So the second one would what would you call it? Chimera. Yeah, Mission Impossible Chimera, and the third which one which also means two. So it's cool that you're doing like a kind of. Oh, you know, yeah. it's the second one, and it's called Chimera, and the third one, I guess, would be called Rabbit's Foot, but that sticks out from the rest of them as being particularly theatrical. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm all good with it being one, two, three, and then changing though. Yeah, but um, yeah, like Rabbit's Foot is the obvious title for the third one, which is kind of yeah, it's just like a little bit weird. But um, all right, so that's titles. Mm-hmm. Unless you've got anything else to say, uh, but- I just want to say like. For people who don't get me when I talk about titles, because it's a it's literally a weekly segment that or a fortnightly segment we do on the show, um, and I've had people before who don't get it. Like, I next to the Look Who's Talking trilogy, like the Mission Impossible titles are like I want to eat them. They're delicious. <laughs> they're, they're cool and they stick to their pattern. And as you say, it feels like installments. It feels like we're watching the next thing. And numbers are lame. Numbers are lame, especially after three. Four's the worst number. Yeah. Uh, and like, because Friday the 13th almost did that. If, if Friday the 13th had ended at the fourth one, which was just the final chapter, that would have been <laughs> fine. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so we talked about the mask. In every film, someone wears a rubber mask and assumes someone else's identity. Now, because how did you feel about it after watching two films? You you weren't a huge fan. So the first one, it's pretty understated. I imagine, I, I would need to confirm this, I'd imagine it's a holdover from the TV yeah, show. Yeah, so in the first one, it feels more like an homage to that. And in the second one, it's like, right, how can we build a whole film around it? And it just... Uh, I feel like I don't have a substantial argument for it because it's set up and everything, but it just feels kind of cheap to keep... Like, the second one, I feel like the second one's the one that relies on it as it being a plot device the most. The other ones, it's not real. I don't think there's ever another climax that is revealed to be it's someone wearing a mask. Six uses it twice. Yeah, but it's not the climax of the film. Well, yeah, it's not the climax of the film, but there are two very definitive Yeah, and I twists. liked them. Isn't that interesting? Oh, fuck, like- they were so cool, man. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, because in the sixth one, they're like, okay, Benji's going to pretend to be Lane and we're going to go do all this other stuff. Henry Cavill, you stay here with Lane. And then Henry goes and he, you know, reveals his evil and he goes and talks to Lane and he's like, oh, you're so fucking complicated and he like talks to him and earlier on in the film angela bassett's like oh the imf is nothing it's just it's halloween it's people playing in masks and then yeah. henry cavill's like talking to lane about how they work together and they had a deal and he's like oh the I- she was right the imf is nothing but ch- it like you know children playing in oh and then he rips his face off and simon pig's like it wasn't me the whole time and oh yeah. it's 
so good. It is good. What do you do? You agree that it's what's the second one in six? I don't know. Uh, the first one is um, at the start when you like think they've failed or the world's been bombed. But ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was a good scene. Do you, as well. Would you agree that it's lame in the second one, or do you think it's cool all the way I, around? I, I don't remember it standing out enough in the second one as being good or bad, to be honest. Because I'm not sure how I can articulate this. I think it's great, like, in the third one. Like, the ones I remember, I remember when it's good, I I haven't remembered the bad ones as much. Yeah, because, okay, the inherent problem with it is it's basically a get-out-of-jail-free card. You can do whatever you want. It's a, hey, you thought this character was dead? Psych! You know, and that is going to get repetitive, and that's going to get lame. And so the second one... um, the way Ethan escapes is by putting on the mask of a henchman and then the bad guy kills the henchman and then he notices he's got a, a cut on his, a plaster on his finger, which he had plaster, a band-aid on his finger, which he had put there earlier in the film. And he's like, oh shit, it's the guy. And then you see him running off and he rips his mask off. Um, and it was at that point where I was like, it's so... You know what it is? You know what the difference? Okay, so if the first one is just an homage and the second one is like building the whole movie around it to the point where nothing really matters because anyone can be anyone, the third one fucking explains it. The third one, you go, you have an in-depth sequence of how they make the mask, how they make the voice patch that changes your voice. And when I saw that, I was like, this feels like J.J. Abrams. It feels like his one problem with the previous movies was (laughs) it's so unrealistic. So he puts a scene devoted to it and it doesn't shy away. Like they're they're putting Philip Seymour Hoffman's face on Ethan's face. And as he's pushing it, the camera um, moves behind Ving Rhames and you think it's going to like, as it comes out, it's going to just be Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's not. It's still Tom Cruise wearing a mask, and they apply it and like you know, like put the makeup on to to make it look natural and blend in in front of your eyes, and you go, okay, I can believe this now. Yeah, that's why it works. And that's I mean, that's a separate problem from it being a Deus Ex Machina, but it at least makes it more believable. And so you're kind of intrigued by it and you want to see mm. it. Happen also, again, it's interesting maybe. to know that in your favorite film, they don't actually use masks um, in the reality of the film. There's like a, a I should say dream sequence, but it's like, mm. a, um, OK, what if, you know, like in heist films, how they go. Um, all right. So you do this and the, it's acted out. They use a mask yeah. in one of those, but not in the actual film. There is a yeah. disguise, but it's just Tom Cruise. Isn't it with funny how hair. good the IMF are at making masks that look exactly like real people, but then when they have to do disguises, it's clearly a disguise. Yeah. <laughs> like it's clearly like wigs and like fake moustaches and things like that. I was like, just yeah. use the mask every time. Uh, well, I, I guess it's different when you know what Tom Cruise looks like underneath yeah, yeah. all that. And so you could yeah, you can tell, true. whereas like if you just saw that walking down the street, you probably wouldn't notice. But mm. speaking of Tom Cruise, I want to talk about him a little bit. Like, what do you think of Tom Cruise generally? I don't like him. I hate him. I think he's a bad person. I think he's a creepy person. I think um, in almost every other role where he's supposed to be likable, you see through his glazed doll-like eyes and his off-center smile and you're like you're not a real person you're a product that's selling itself and so like the mummy's real bad with that um and the i i I can't remember where i heard this i read it somewhere there's basically an idea being floated out there if you'll notice post um mission impossible 2 
so it was the last one where people really saw Tom Cruise as like a just a normal actor. Um, post then, any romance is either no, it doesn't focus on the the tension or the romantic tension between the characters or anything. Um, so like he's he's already engaged and gets married in the third film. Then the second film doesn't really have a love interest because he's already still like kind of indebted to his previous wife. And then the fifth film, he meets Rebecca Ferguson's character, but it's, it, they just could have a friendship, you know, like that's yeah, what I, kind I, of I really like about. their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a friendship and that's sort of carried over into it's like mutual respect well. with a sprinkling mm. of attraction. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the mummy, um, 2017's the mummy, um, the the main girl in that they reference her her character and Tom Cruise's character having slept together, but you never see it and you never see an indication of that. And the idea basically is that Tom Cruise audiences don't like seeing Tom Cruise flirt with people anymore. It's he's <laughs> not sexy. He's cool, but he's not sexy. Well, he is fifty six. Yeah. But um, okay. Well, that's interesting that you saw that. I fucking love Tom Cruise. I <laughs> like. I'm. Ah, oh, it's like a fascination. I like. I he's a I paradox man. He's such like he's he's a bona fide movie star. Mm. That's inarguable. I personally, I think he seems like a real cool dude to hang out with. Like, I would love to meet Tom Cruise. You watch any interview with him, and he's like so friendly. And like everyone says, he's like the nicest guy. Simon Pegg says he's the nicest guy he's ever met, and Simon Pegg is one of the nicest guys I've ever met because I've met Simon Pegg. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, and like we just watch him in interviews, and he cares so much as well like and you can tell with these movies you watch him in interviews you like he read all the behind the scenes stories and like even just watching all the stunts he does like he cares so insanely much like the fact that he'll strip himself to the side of a plane just because he thinks this will be good to watch i should do this and it's like Mm -hmm. the only other person that's really kind of like that is the rock but like whereas tom cruise is 20 years on the rock yeah, and so. also, like, so when, like, the mummy does bad, what does Tom Cruise do? He, like, gets up and tries again with like, something like um, Fallout, whereas The Rock fucking starts a flame war on Twitter with people. <laughs> but whereas Tom Cruise is an adult and can, like, move on, whereas The, Tom, well, whereas the real, Rock the is just, like... the worm has turned on Dwayne Johnson. He used to love that guy. Yeah, but then I just hate his little, like, how personally he takes when people don't like his films. Yeah. And... How about you, like, has to shove in people's face that, like, Baywatch is a real good movie and cr- cr- critics hate it, but always just love it. It's like, no, that's just a fucking boring movie. And that's, like, the worst thing a movie should be is boring. So it's interesting that you should talk about how much you love Tom Cruise, Richard, because I actually have him here right now. He's on the phone. Uh, hey there, Richard. How's it going? <laughs> oh, my God. Hi, Tom Cruise. That's so exciting. Uh, do you have any questions you want to ask me? Uh, I would love to know... Uh, what's been your favorite stunt you've done? Uh, the hanging from the plane was really great, but um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, you actually have your friend AJ to thank for me being here. Oh, re- oh thanks, AJ. Psych! Got you! Pranked you! That was actually oh. a professional Tom Cruise impersonator. Oh. That is... That is really uncool. <laughs> oh, Jesus crying for me? Good on you, Jesus. <laughs> 
we we gotta like if you haven't heard this you gotta look up we'll try maybe i can put it at the end of the episode <laughs> like it's just such a it, the the that is so uncool is like an iconic piece of dialogue that is stuck with me. <laughs> it's it's the true sound of someone's heart being broken it's, it's new zealand's you bow to no one <laughs> even though that's from a new zealand film <laughs> Uh, we've lost it again, that, but this time that was that was the, for some reason that was the first movie quote that came to mind. <laughs> yeah, not, not one the, for like, Mission Luke Impossible. I am your father, not the like. <laughs> no, you know what it is. You know what it is. It's New Zealand's answer to forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Like <laughs> forget it, Jake. It's it's, that it's is New so Zealand's uncool. the scene where Tom Cruise hangs from the ceiling in the first Mission Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise. I like. I don't know enough about Scientology to hate it as much as other people do as well. I think as part of it, like I don't. Oh, I'm not. It's pretty bad, man. (laughs) Like the thing is, I'm not just forgetting about his Scientology or like I I don't condone it or anything like that. I just don't know anything about it. I know it's like a weird culty religion, and that's all I know about it. You should watch Going Clear, the HBO documentary. It's Mm. not just weird and culty. They're like a leech on society, and they've physically attacked people probably murdered people like it's pretty bad yeah but haven't we all anyway <laughs> and and they love they love attacking people who disparage their name so expect Colt popture to be taken off soundcloud immediately because yeah. of this. well and also i've heard apparently that they like because elizabeth moss is also a scientologist uh and apparently the church of scientology has like they want to steer away from tom uh from tom cruise being their kind of like poster child and steered more towards elizabeth moss maybe that means he can stop being a scientologist because they've clearly got shit on him man the the hbo documentary suggests that they have dirt on people like john travolta and tom cruise Mm. actually no they more suggest tom cruise is just evil (laughs) but but whatever um yeah it's always disappointing when you find out certain celebrities are scientologists though yeah man i think the worst the worst one for me is beck I don't even like Beck that much, but it's like, how can like such a cool musician, such a cool, grounded musician be a Scientologist? Yeah, there are a lot of weird ones. Like, um, Anchor's uh, Hyde from that 70s show. Mm. Like, he's one, Anchor's, he's like one of the uh, Weinstein effect people that's like, he actually raped people, but he hasn't been taken off his show because he's a Scientologist. He, well, he has now. Huh? Yeah, he has now, but he took a fucking long time to get taken off. Cool. Hey, what else have you got to talk about, man? Because this is, whoo, this is quickly becoming our longest episode to date. It's it's right on track to beat um, Transformers. uh, Was Transformers our longest? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, okay. That's those are my like three main talking points. Now uh, is it's time for a segment we like to call continue the franchise boy have you been holding out for this listener at two and a nearly two and a half hours i can't wait for all the people (laughs) messaging us and be like i'm not listening to this because it's too fucking long this was for us this podcast was for we needed this this is like how many earbud films all the descriptions we had to get out do you know how much theory i had to write on my google docs about earbud do you know what coming into this i was worried i didn't have enough information on mr impossible Mission Impossible Earbud. Is no, that you can do the franchise? No. All right, AJ, no. go, f- go for you can do the franchise, mate. Okay. So- oh, actually, sorry. So I'll talk about... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of like what's 
planned. There, there isn't an official Mission Impossible Seven, um, but apparently at the premiere of Fallout, uh, Tom Cruise after the film, Tom Cruise turned to Chris McQuarrie and was like, "Yeah, I can. Re- I reckon we could top that." <laughs> I didn't really like it, Chris. I I did read on Reddit the other day that Chris McQuarrie has said the reception to six has been so good that he's t- he's cautious to return. And to be honest, my my overall continue the franchise would be yeah, don't like let it breathe. Give us that time gap again. Give us let us into that next era of film and then let like a product of the times director direct that film. I yeah, don't know because it does feel like this one needed to be. So soon after, because it is a sequel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I my continuing the franchise I almost don't want to do yet. I want to do, like, I don't want it to be the next Mission Impossible. But I did think a way to kind of revitalize it, should it ever get stale, is go um, the Archer route and do, like, Mission Impossible, but it's set in World War One, And you get Tom Cruise back, and he plays Ethan, but he's it's set in World War One Because... I'd sort of talked before, like as an example, you could sit at whatever time period where like spy agencies exist. Um, I talked before about how Mission Impossible feels like James Bond without the rules. And if you'll cast your mind back, you may remember that Tarantino once famously um, tried to direct Casino Royale and he was going to do it black and white set in the 50s with Pierce Brosnan as as Bond. Um and they didn't do that because they were like, nah, we got to keep it safe. We got to do what, you know, we want to just keep doing genuine Bond movies. And I love Casino Royale. So while that sounds like a fascinating movie, um, it's not necessarily the best thing we could have got. But I do wonder if Mission Impossible really wants to be the, um, the if, if Mission Impossible wants to be the James Bond killer, which maybe it doesn't, you know, who knows. And they 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 either play, start playing it safe, which they haven't done historically, so I wouldn't think they would, or they do the opposite and they go they turn it on its head and do a do an episode set in the twenties or the forties or the sixties or you know like even the future, you know I don't know I think that'd be an interesting. Um, well, there thing is to do, kind of a Mission Impossible in the future. It's called Minority Report. Yeah, because totally. it does actually have almost the same plot as the first Mission Impossible. True. There you go. So I don't know. What do you think? I think it's interesting. Be- yeah, I, I, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I'd like to see it, but at the same time, yeah, I don't necessarily want it to be that. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, the other thing I should mention as well that par- there was rumors of that um, Jeremy Renner's character was introduced in the fourth one to take over the franchise. Like oh, yeah. people were talking about that, but I mean. <laughs> which would make this the like one of two times that he's like bought into a franchise to take it over and then the the original person's very, just like, nah, I want to keep doing it. Very similar franchises as well. Mm. Um the other one being the Born um, series. But, but no, yeah. but Jeremy Jeremy Renner makes his name for being the underplayed cast member in different franchises. Because you could say the same thing about him, like he's one of the only Avengers without or one of the only original Avengers without a solo movie. Yeah. You know, so Yeah. Um I, I just think he's not a leading man, really. I mean, he was good mm. in the Hurt Locker, but uh, anyway, Mike seen the franchise. Uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Apostles are still out there at the end of the seventh film, right? Yeah, I'd say that's probably where they're going to go, which yeah. kind of disappoints me because like, um, uh, Lane's still alive as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm only disappointed because it implies that they're going to bring him back, and I don't think they should. Yeah, I mean, just 
Yeah, in terms of like a real continue the franchise here, going after the apostles. Um, yeah, I, I can't think Mission Apostle. Bull. That's what it would be called. <laughs> yeah, Mission Apostle. Um, but yeah, I was trying to think possible. of like what the next big stunt could be, and apparently there's talk of uh, shooting something in space. Yeah, that does feel like you could realistically take this to space. Yeah, like, like uh, of but, any franchise. Yeah, this Tom. Is the one Tom you could said. Uh, in an interview, he was talking... Huh? My buddy Tom. My buddy Tom. Uh, he was like... Uh, he said, oh, me and Q, which is what he calls Chris Macquarie. Uh, they, they talked about, you know, it'll be fun to shoot something in space, but it's getting the story reason to get them up there. Yeah, he said, cause, yeah they couldn't go to the moon. Not in not Yeah, in it'll, be, it'll be a space station or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And because, I mean, he's already done Zero-G because, like, the mummy has a Zero-G sequence. Um, mm. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's like there because he, he said it could be like doing a jump from space, which is just like a higher version of the Halo jump, high altitude lightning yeah. jump they did in Fallout, uh, which Tom Cruise trained for a year for, and they did 108 jumps. I would say that um, gravity is almost Mission Impossible in space. There's no, there's no like spy asset to her but she's still like on an impossible mission you know like against against the odds which is essentially what makes up the set pieces of mission impossible films is that there against yeah i mean i'm sure they'll think of some great shit but yeah i mean the going after the the remaining apostles seems like that where the franchise is going to go next um one other thing i did want to say about tom cruise um wait what was i saying (laughs) so he talked about that (laughs) We're a full we're a full Avengers movie into this podcast, people. Uh, this so. is our longest be, episode. Be, be, be By almost us. twenty minutes. <laughs> no, I feel like I feel like most anticipated of twenty sixteen was this long. Oh or right, okay. I was just counting film franchise Fortnites. Let me see. Twenty sixteen. Oh, the, the like the very first one you did? No, the it would have been the second disappointing, I think. Was very long. Oh, the one that we recorded at the end of last year? No, the one I recorded with Rowan and Josh Monson. Okay. Which I, I feel like that one wouldn't have listened to. No. Um, what are you looking up? Uh, I'm trying to find our longest episode. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was uh, a full 12 minutes shorter than, we talked, than we've been going at the moment. Um, yeah. yeah uh, fuck, I was going to say something else about Tom Cruise and I didn't write it down. Which just goes to show you, fam, always write down your, your stuff. Um, is that it? Yeah. Do you have anything else to say? I don't know. I think I think that's it. I, hey, I have fan mail. Do you want? No. <laughs> we were going we to do fan mail this episode, but the fan mail always I, ends up taking fucking ages as well. I, yeah, it's real long, so we're going to have to leave it another week. I can't fathom someone listening to a three-hour podcast on Mission Impossible. <laughs> it would go. It would get to three hours as well. Jesus Christ. Right, All should right. we do franchise really? I'm so excited to do franchise really. Oh my god! Yep. Do you have? The, do you want me to get the list? Uh, I've got the list up in front of me. All, All right, right, here we go. Random number. Wait, G should ready. we explain what it is first? Two hundred and sixty-two. All right, you explain it. I'll find it. So this is a segment where we choose our next franchise, which we haven't done in a month. Um, so this will be in two weeks' time. We'll have watched all these films and we'll be talking about them. 
Um, and while Richard's looking that up, I'll also just say that if you like Cult Pop Show, then please find us on Facebook and YouTube and SoundCloud and iTunes and Instagram and Twitter. Follow, subscribe, whatever, on all those things. There's also the survey. It's still up. So please go to the survey um, link in the description to find that and um, let us know what you think. Because do you like two and a half hour long podcasts, for example? Do you? I remember the thing I was going to say about Tom Cruise. Oh, um, God. Really cock teasing that that franchise reveal. <laughs> it's a good one too. Uh, good. Uh, on Reddit the other day, someone because another thing I like about Tom Cruise is he doesn't take himself too seriously. Because he did um, like Tropic Thunder, which someone like Leonardo DiCaprio would never do a role like that. But that was Tom Cruise's idea. He like he read the script and was like, it was actually the whole character was his idea. Because he Ben still had written the script, and he's like, "Oh, Tom," and Tom asked if he could read over it, and he's like, "Oh, it needs more pressure on the guys. They need a reason to be to keep filming, so you need to add the studio in here." And he, and then they wrote the character. He was like, "Tom, I have." To, uh, he was like, "Ben, I have to play this guy." He was like, "I want to have fat hands and I want to dance," and he just like <laughs> made this character of Les Grossman, but um. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Do you know what I'm saying? This is, it almost made me forget what I was going to say. But um, someone on Reddit was like, uh, they talk about Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder. I barely recognize him. Someone was like, to me, this was the point when uh, Tom Cruise was no longer considered box office poison. And I was like, what mm. the fuck are you talking about? You think that Tom like, so literally look it up. Tom Cruise between a film I think it was called Legend which was the film he did before Top Gun between that uh, so that was 1984 between that and The Mummy in 2017 he didn't have a bo- he had a box office hit every single film he had he hadn't starred in a bomb until The okay. Mummy so that's like what like 30 years or 33 years he was box office success and so this guy's like oh actually he wasn't he was box office poison until 2007 when Tropic Thunder came no 2009 I like how you derailed our flow of the podcast so you could bitch on a Redditor <laughs> no I was just like what the fuck are you so I, I replied and I was like actually um actually yeah. um yeah. anyway join us next film franchise fortnights in two weeks where we will be talking about the three film franchise they're animated AJ do you want to guess Aladdin nope 3D animated. How to Train Your Dragon. No. Close. It's close to How to Train Your Dragon. Yes. In what sense? Very close. Just tell me, what is it? Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. What a lovely, what a love, what a treat. Those are supposed to be real good. Yeah. Have you not seen any I've, of them? I've seen the first one. I've heard oh, yeah. like. I've seen the first one as well. Yeah. I've heard fantastic things about the sequels. All right. So, so here it is. Who knew Mission Impossible would be our longest episode? <laughs> we, got, we just got to end it, man. We, we got to just end this episode. I, I do want to look up. No, God. <laughs> Why? What are you doing? So, <laughs> this podcast is now longer than any of the Mission Impossible films. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you so we'll much We'll see you next time. Bye. Do you know what's funny? Bye. <laughs>
Are you still going? I'm, I'm about to hit stop. Well, I was just going to say that it's funny that we were like, oh, let's aim to put the like um, the promo in the middle of the episode. And then <laughs> we got to it and it was like over an hour in. And I was like, fuck. And then it's like it's before halfway. <laughs> All, right, All right. I'm going to hit Bye. stop now. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Who, who was it that jacked it up? Because we'll give them five grand now. Actually, my good friends uh, JJ, Dom, and Randall from the Edge. Oh, uh, you're yeah. joking! Good job. You are joking. We could hear them in the background. Thing is this? Uh, I, I, Tom. Oh, Jesus, Simon. Sorry for letting it go, go go on so long, but you sounded so excited, and we just didn't know when to jump in. I have never been more excited until now. No, Simon. Yeah, dirty not, dogs. Simon, this yes. is not Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> he's an he's an impersonator called Evan Ferranti um, from from America. You not guys, TomCruise.com is this actually? Nah. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> you just interviewed a fake Tom Cruise. Get a life. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? That's just so uncool. Oh, that's super uncool. Well, that'll be in the newspapers. Poor old Sam's crying for me. Good on you, Sam. Pretty low rent, guys. Ah, that's really disappointing. That is probably one of the more disappointing, shameful things. It is actually disgust. Wow. Wow, that's really, you know, that's, that's pretty groundbreaking radio right there. Um, interesting. I don't quite know what to do about that, but um, I think we'll just stand down whenever we think about it. Yeah. Oh, that is truly disappointing because yeah. I was so yeah, I was a lot of so put a lot of effort into that. Yeah, I was so stoked. And now this will be my wife. It is, and my kids are texting because they know. You know, like when you try to when you try to meet somebody that's you know like a hero of yours yeah. for whatever reason. Well. Oh, my whole family's texting now. Yeah. That's appalling. I'm so, oh, I'm so sure sorry. I'm sure some son. discussions are going to take place later today. Don't worry about that. Wow. I'm just, my, my mind is racing there as to what to do about that. Um, um, and look, you should see the text machine. Thank you very much um, for all the very nice text. That, you know, that's the sort of stuff, isn't it, that you go... And that's to me actually that what's wrong with the world because if people think that's funny, that's actually not even funny. I mean, we'd, you'd never do that to somebody if you knew that. Don't worry about it, Sammy. I, do you know what I might do? I might play that interview and my reaction like an excited little boy to Tom Cruise's people and I reckon that might just get a real interview out <laughs> of it. might carry over the line there, mate, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. have to say he was a good impersonator, but um, hmm. such is life. This is more FM. And I'm, de- you know, actually, do you know, actually, the text machine is just going crazy. I'm also disappointed for our listeners because yeah. I've had the last 24 hours, truly, I've had so many people stop me. I was at Mitre 10 and they're saying, we can't believe it. I was at the swimming pool yesterday and they said, man, that's so amazing. How cool. We'll be listening. I've had texts all morning saying this is going to be cool. So let's apologize on behalf of The Edge for their poor taste for fooling all of our listeners, the uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners we have. Who were looking forward to that and listened in and were wildly excited about it as we were. So uh, I'm apologising on behalf of The Edge and I hope The Edge is going to make an apology to everybody as well.
This is More FM. It's, uh, look, we're running horribly late, as you might expect. Um, poor old Sam's in tears here. We've all had a group hug in the studio because we, much as we tease each other in here, we, we love each other very much. And so I think, I think why you're upset and why a lot of people are looking at this text machine, you know, the best um, thing we can do is probably copy and paste. The, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts coming in. And they are very good <laughs> in that they are so angry and so upset for, well, actually for me, because I yeah. think people could see how much it meant to me. Um, you know, but hey, look, that's the way it is. Um, but what we should do is copy and paste and send that to the edge and say, if that's the kind of stuff you think is funny, and, and bear in mind, I mean, I know JJ. Yeah, I know same. Dom. I was hanging out yeah. with the radio awards the other night. Yeah, and, and we've spoken about this stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I, obviously we come at radio from different angles, but that's just so, to me, that's low rent. That's not fun. It'd be funny if it was just a random interview, but the fact is, is that this is like your dream. You wanted this for so long. Yeah. And I watched your face thinking you were talking talking to your idol and for someone just to rip that away for a cheap gag to get ratings, it's pathetic. Yeah, I'm with you, Sammy. <sighs> anyway, so we're really sorry we're late and, and I'm genuinely sorry for people that were texting in through the course of that interview saying, wow, can't believe this is Tom Cruise. How amazing is this? We're loving this interview, all that sort of stuff. I'm very sorry for you because there's something ghastly about being hoodwinked in a negative way. That's right. It's betrayal. Yeah. That's the word for it. We've, all our listeners have been betrayed and, and we have. Yeah. And, and these people are within our own company. <sighs> Five past eight. Uh, we will do 50 Grand Friday. That's, that'll make us feel good. 50 Grand Friday coming in 20 minutes. Look, I suppose put it all in perspective. It's a radio interview. And who knows what will happen as a result of this. Um, and it may be good. Maybe we'll get Tom Cruise. I still haven't given up my Mission Impossible. No, you won't give up. That's your spirit. And when you asked that- him that question, he said, I'd prefer not to answer. Well, I was a bit cold on him then anyway. <laughs> I went a bit cold on it. So 50 Grand Friday coming up in 20 minutes and possibly the crew cut. We'll see how we get on for time. Uh, this And thank you. Can I thank you again? Sorry we've gone on, but thank you for the lovely, lovely heartwarming text.